I partook in a little whiskey last night. I haven't had. I haven't really drank much of anything in a long time. What'd you have? That Nika stuff. Just a couple of couple of whiskeys, and then uh, we stayed up until like one a.m. T- making a tier list of candies that is completely unhinged because everybody has fucking terrible taste. We were getting into the the merits of black licorice and candy corn and almond joy and dots. Just the worst fucking candy on the face of the planet. You just named three of my favorite candies. Fuck you. (laughs) Okay, let's open this up for Ben. He's going to love to hear that. Licorice, candy corn. Uh, what was the, the fucking third thing you said? You said licorice. <laughs> no, not dots. Fuck dots. But the other one you said, you said Almond licorice. Joy. Almond Joy. Great candy. Delicious. Wonderful flavor profile. Wait, so black licorice? You like black? Not like red vines. You like black licorice? Red vines are plastic. They're disgusting. They don't taste like anything. Yes, black licorice is, it is rich and flavorful. You bite down on it. It feels like you're biting into something. Chris. What's the flavor of candy corn? God's jizz. Ah, it's the Cots Crusade podcast. I mean, if you like eating a sugar candle, then yeah. A sugar candle. (laughs) See, to me, my logic is like C tier is just, it just exists. I have no feelings. I don't, I don't hate it, but I don't like it. If it's there, I'll eat it, but it's not blowing my socks back. Smarties. Blowing my hair off. C tier. Smarties are actively bad. Smarties are great! God damn you guys! No, it's someone got a pill machine and they put sugar in there. It's terrible. (laughs) Shotgunning a whole pack of Smarties, like, that'll get you there. That'll get you there. Andrew tried to say that candy cigarettes were S-tier. I'm like, dude, they're a meme. They're bad candy. Don't come at me with that shit. It's like circus peanuts level. (laughs) Don't you dare bring circus peanuts into this. Bad candy for it. No, for, it's delicious. Oh, I love circus peanuts. God, you literally everything, everything you both said is like my state. Now you're going to next. You're going to tell me orange slices are C tier. D tier. Fuck They you. had to Fuck be you. rescued I fucking quit. from the I fucking depths quit. of F. He's gone. The headphones are off. <laughs> <laughs> he, is, he is exited stage right. He is off screen. <laughs> That's astonishing. That's so fucking funny. I want to see this list, though. God, that's hilarious. All, uh, literally all my favorite candies. Chris spent too much time with Nana, and now he's got 80-year-old lady taste <laughs> buds. <laughs> that's literally what it is. Do y'all have cowtails on there anywhere? Cowtails, fuck. I yeah. love cowtails. I've never had a cowtail. Cowtails a strong S tier for me. Like It's like a gutsa. I don't know how to pronounce it. Like soft chewy caramel outside with a cream inside it's very fucking tasty good variety of uh uh i mean good varieties i should say because there's the the cinnamon apple there's the caramel and then there's a just a plain like chocolate with the cream filling all three are just really really good versions of it too this whole thing was started because brennan friend of the pod was eating some nerds candies the other day and i was like what are you eating he's like nerds gummy candies and i was like those look disgusting he's like they're my favorite candy right next to the buenos hazelnut whatever so sarah went out yesterday when she was at the store i was like pick me up these two candies totally valid and the hazelnut ones are fine the nerds were already a d-tier candy nerds are disgusting and shitty and shouldn't be eaten you throw them around a, a mid gummy and it's just nerds around a jelly it was disgusting it was horrifying I understand the the appeal of having because nerds are a little bit tart. You know, it's like a, a sugary, crunchy, tart 
uh, candy, but then you throw a gummy in there and get the combination of the textures. And if, if that's what you're looking for, then that's going to be very appealing to you. EJ, you are known for your child's mouth <laughs> for textures because you literally took a bite of a mochi ball that was delicious and you just bit right in the trash can. <laughs> it was soggy and mushy. It was covered in sesame seeds. How was it that soggy? Sesame seeds aren't soggy. They're seeds. <laughs> That's they're my dry. point. That's how soggy it was, is that it, the sesame seeds didn't even make a dent. It was like Majin Buu's ball sack. It was disgusting. Chris is making a face right now. That's rice flour stuff in general. But yeah, the mochi balls are good. It just If you're into that, then you're into that. But I understand the appeal for people. Like Black licorice is a very, either love it or you hate it. Like there is no in between. You can't just be like, yeah, I'm f- I'm fine with black licorice. Like you either love it or you hate it. Similar to candy can or not candy canes, but uh, I can't even think of the candy corn. Like you either love it or you hate it, and it's just that most people hate it. <laughs> Somebody argued to have gummy bears in A tier. I mean, it just it's embarrassing. Fun Dip made Fruit its way into C tiers. I totally agree. Give me a Welch's Woonack, dude. Way. Yeah, Better than a gummy bear. I do not see take five anywhere on this list. Yeah, we just went with the the default whatever they had on the tier list. So there's a lot missing that I would put in here. Regional variants. Starburst. Starburst wildly overrated. Baby bottle pop. Which fucking infantile puling piece of shit put that in S tier? Well, raise his hand. I'll see. I'll see. <laughs> Starburst Star is too much chewing. I don't. I don't exactly. really like uh, like Laffy Taffy and like those ones that you have to like work for for a yeah. while. It's like eating gum. Like I don't want that. Sour Patch is great. Agree with S tier place, but for sure I just can't eat them anymore because they affect my enamel. I have a toothache for like two days. Yeah, when fully, I eat yeah. Sour Patch now, which is really sad because that was like my go-to. Quick around the horn, favorite candy that is probably only your favorite candy. I'm just a peanut butter candy guy, and if I'm going to get something off the shelf, it's probably, I mean, Reese's Stick is an S tier to me. Just a, It's like the perfect combination of fluffy and That's a really boring crunchy. response for the question that I just asked. I don't know how like, to... What's your favorite candy that is only your favorite candy? Like something that Sarah says, ew, but you're like, yes, give it to me. I don't know if I have that. I don't eat a ton of candy. It's, I'm kind of a basic bitch in that respect. I don't. I don't know if I have like a weird... Can't like like my tier list yesterday. My S tiers was peanut butter and Twix, and then A tier was just like all the basic American chocolates, like Hershey's and Kit Kats. You know, like I'm pretty well, real missionary when it comes to <laughs> fully candy <laughs> flavors. You put baby fully. bottle pop in S tier, I would say that definitely qualifies. Dude, a yeah, watermelon baby bottle, right there. baby bottle pop, and you're just sitting there shaking that bitch up. It's like a sucker. Suckers are bad. Yes. <laughs> Just put some wa- just put some watermelon lube on somebody and suck them off instead. Like it'll j- at least you're doing somebody else a favor in that case. <laughs> Get some powder on that bitch. Gushers were contentious <laughs> yesterday. I think gushers are A tier. I could just fucking crush some gushers. There's a I've had too many bad gushers that are like on a hot shelf for too long and, and it ruins the, the structural integrity of the exterior and you're just biting it. You're not chewing you open the bag. And it's just a puddle. Like, uh, yeah, no good. Chris, you've already talked. You've mentioned like I've seven mentioned things a lot. Are- it could honestly be circus peanuts, which I know are hilarious. <laughs> I love circus peanuts. It's getting harder and harder to find them at gas stations, uh, which is Thank really God. sad. But the one, the one Thanks, thing Obama. I would say, Mike and Ike's, but specifically, lay them out in a flat, like non-stacked manner on a plate, evenly distributed. 
uh, put him in the microwave for like 12 seconds. What? Twelve, what? Tw- 12 seconds. Very small amount of time so that they do not melt, but they become w- warm and slightly soft. That'll change your life. Oh, Walter White cooking that over is here. Clinical. <laughs> Jesse. Chris. <laughs> this man eats peeps in July. Oh my God. Peeps F tier. Bottom of F. No! Bottom of F. Bottom of F. No! Bottom of F. Give me bunny peeps in in Easter. Give me spooky peeps in Halloween. Give me give me a a a Christmas peep. Give me a white peep with a little a little green sprinkles in wintertime. Give me peeps all the time. Disgusting. You're talking to a kid who literally ate marshmallows right out of the bag in high school, though. Nick, what's your fucked up candy so that we can start talking about video games? This is enraging to hear from Chris right now. <laughs> I don't think mine's very weird, but I just really like Swedish fish. Like that's my that's my top tier, but I don't think anyone else really appreciates it. No one's gonna be like, ew, gross Swedish fish, but like I'm like actively seeking it out. Oh. So probably that. Also, <sighs> I have an embarrassing number of times that I've just crushed one of those like tubs of red vines. I know, Chris, you're talking about how they have no flavor. And I agree, they don't really have a flavor, but you could just keep eating them and then you're going to feel bad, but it's going to get the job done if you just want some sugar. So you're a gummy kind of guy. You're just... Oh, yeah, gum it up, buddy. Okay, all right. I'm gumming. (laughs) I want a myriad of textures. I want to crunch something. I want something to melt in my mouth. I want to work for it a little bit. Like, I want it all. I like crunch in like mixed in with, like, chocolate. Like, I really like the... uh, Not was a hundred grand or the crunch bars like the mm, ones that have the, mm. the rice crispy yeah mixed in i really mm-hmm. like those mm-hmm. we had some it's not like a, a nestle or whatever but we got a chocolate it was like a dark chocolate with almond butter and quinoa crisp mm. or couscous. it was quinoa crisps and it was like you know as frou-frou as that sounds but it was really good just because you don't really get that dark chocolate with like the regular hershey kind of crap I see dark chocolate for me is so hit or miss because most of the mainstream dark chocolate that you can go get off of a, a, st- a grocery store shelf right now is all just burnt crap. It sucks. People are like, oh, I love dark chocolate. It's like, wow, you like bad things. And then we're like, oh, you just like sugar. That's all milk chocolate is. Yeah, bitch. I want, I like sugar. I want to eat sugar. That's what candy is about. I want sugar. God damn. Yeah. American milk chocolate's pretty bad in general. I mean, everything America makes is pretty fucking bad in general, except for whiskey. So. Even then, my favorite whiskey is made in Japan. Yeah, there you go. Import everything. Get your Japanese mayo, your... Hell yeah. Your Momofuka crispy crunch. crunch. (laughs) Chili crunch. That's right. All right, all right, all right. Candy Crusade Podcast. In Galactic Conquest... Holy shit, that is the longest cold open we're ever going to have done. I'm EJ Olson. I'm with Nick Durheim. Hello. And Chris Gilly for Justice for Circus Peanuts. Disgusting. Our senior citizen. <laughs> yeah, I just like it because I can get through it with my dentures out. Just slowly sucking on it till it dissolves and trickles down the back of my throat. Listen, when Chris is gumming, he still needs his fix. Dual purpose. We are back after a little bit of a break because Chris was busy last week and I have no clue what Nick was doing, avoiding COVID, which you've successfully done. Yeah. Perfect Perry. You, you've been sleeping the same bed as someone, patient zero, and you didn't get sick. Maybe patient one. We don't know who started it. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to point fingers, but yes, there was there were two cases of 
COVID in the household. And I was not the third. So that's amazing. What can I say? My resistance was just too high. Rolled a perfect 20. You love that. Let's go. You love that. Uh, find us really quick before we jump into today. Find us on social media. I know you're listening, and I know some of you who listen every week, you're not yet in our Discord. Download Discord. Go to solo.to slash console crusade. You can find all of our links. You can join the Discord. You can find us on Twitter. Elon still won't let me change our name to console crusade. Oh, well, what do you do? Cry about it in our podcast. If you made it into something anti-Semitic, he'd probably be like, well, I don't see why not. We're halfway there with the crusade. Wow. We're going to kick right out of that and into honorable mentions for our top 100. We are slowly and steadily working towards episode 150 where we will revisit the top 100. We've had a year to sit on it, to refine it, to think about it, think about some of the accidental omissions, maybe add some newly played games to the list. But we're going through honorable mentions. Today is the Nintendo DS, uh, which is a console that hit for us right at the end of middle school, beginning of high school, so kind of a weird time, I think, in a lot of children's lives as we're getting into things like sports and music and girls and video games aren't totally a priority, but we still played. We still played. Nick, let's start with you. You got an honorable mention for us? I can just give you the most boring honorable mention we can possibly imagine, but we can all agree could have easily been in our top 100, but was overtaken by a different entry in the series. And that's Mario Kart DS. This was my first, I would say, competitive online game. It was broken in all the ways that felt good to play. People complain about, but also love the snaking in that snaking game, which is on that D-pad. Mm-mm-mm-mm. On the D-pad, the clicky D-pad with the OG DS felt so nice. And the courses were purpose built around the snaking. I swear to God, you if to beat the dev times, you had to snake. So I was just cruising around Bowser's Castle as dry bones and the Yoshi cart like a like a piece of shit snake it the whole way and it felt great and i think i think i got the game before we even had wi-fi this is you know back back in the day we're just getting off of dial-up we got dsl we do not have the the straight like wireless internet yet i think i got a dongle for my computer to turn my internet into wireless because that was the easier option than getting a wireless router this is like you know 2005 probably when that game came out but you could play for free on the Nintendo Wi-Fi network or whatever they called. I think it's literally what they called it at like McDonald's. So the very rare occasion in which I was at a McDonald's because there wasn't one near the high school, uh, you could bust out the DS and play online against strangers or very underrated feature this game had. You didn't have to have the game to play the game. If someone had it, you could just play as a shy guy and just play the full ass game with your friend. And that was sick. Mario Kart DS Probably the second best Mario Kart behind Mario Kart 8, but fear, purely because Mario Kart 8 has everything. Mario Kart DS is probably better playing. It looks fantastic on the tiny screen. The two screens was awesome to look down and look at the map and then look up. And Beautiful game. Love it. Long road trips, driving to Kanita, driving to the coast, driving to you know some faraway land for some basketball tournament no one wanted to actually be at in Spokane or something. And... One person has Mario Kart, but three of us are playing. That level of consumer friendliness is something we don't often see, especially, I mean, what did the DS sell? 120 million units? 154. Oh my God. I always underestimate. That's absurd. You know, I remember playing, I had a cousin who's a couple years younger than us. This poor guy was like 
Zombieland 2 on the Nintendo Switch level. Like, that was, like, his highlight of Christmas, right? Like, he didn't get to play any of the mainline shit. So, like, when he would come on road trips with us, and he had his DS with, like, Nintendogs and, like, some game he borrowed from his older sister, you know, Barbie's Funhouse or whatever. All the Walmart, bon- bon- like, bargain bin kind of games. Ten bucks. Some, like, shitty trivia game. Like... Just, just absolute dregs for this poor kid. Solitaire. So he would come in and he would really just boot right in with us. Game changer. I'm trying to think how many DS courses made it into the DLC for Mario Kart 8. Just overall, I think almost all of them. I don't know how many are missing uh, from Mario Kart 8 at this point. But even like when it first came out, I think TikTok Clock was in there. And that is like my favorite course from Mario Kart DS. They just added Waluigi Pinball. Uh, in the last booster course pass drop, so ah. it's tough because a lot of a lot of uh, Mario Karts will do like, oh, here is our version of Moo Moo Meadows. We don't need to have four different Moo Moo Meadows in the latest Mario Kart. So I don't know how many are skipped because of that. Oh, but Shroom a ton of courses Ridge. are available. Oh, I love Mushroom Ridge with the cars and stuff. And it's just like scenic. Love it. That's in Peach's Garden. Was in the pack before last, right. and I really liked what they yep, yep. did with that. Yeah, cool variety added with that. Shout out DS Download Play. Honestly, I'm glad you mentioned that. I mean, I'm first of all, I totally agree. Second best Mario Kart, even though I have a very, very deep fondness for Mario Kart Wii because of the amount of hours I spent playing that game with friends in college. DS is is perfect. It is perfect. Um, Snaking. My thumb is aching. Like my left thumb is pulsating right now. Just remembering. Just left, 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 right, right, right. Just like chaining boots together. But sitting around outside the Japanese classroom with Andrew Sappington and just DS downloading play Mario Kart DS until I finally got it. And I'm like, oh my God, there's more characters. This is amazing. Yeah, it was just the dopest, the dopest. Shout out to Shy Guy. Andrew's favorite Mario character is Shy Guy because of DS download play for Mario Kart DS. Dude, for real. <laughs> Chris, a DS honorable mention. How many DS games made it to the top 100? Let me go to solo.to slash console crusade and go to our spreadsheet that shows the top 100 games of all time. Two, I think. Pokemon Conquest. Three. WarioWare Touched. Trauma Center. And, and Surgery. Wow. That is... A hilarious three to choose from when looking at the catalog of Nintendo DS games. So on okay, on, on uh, Reddit the other day, these kind of questions pop up every once in a while. On Casual Nintendo, the only subreddit that EJ checks out as far as games are, are related. He's got the Warzone subreddit and then Casual Nintendo, and that's pretty much it. The Switch subreddit is a fucking nightmare. Anything you post or comment just gets del- automated and deleted. It's obnoxious. Anyway, someone posed the question, and maybe I brought this up before because these questions pop up, but someone was like looking at strictly the library without uh, accounting for backwards compatibility, which Nintendo console has not the largest, but the best library of games. And he his answer right away was Nintendo DS. And of course, my answer is as an old head who's been around since the beginning, it's the Nintendo Switch, and it's not even close. It is not even close. Like, there's no argument to even be made. But the DS, is it not so distant? Second, perhaps. Perhaps. And the fact that there's only three of our top 100 games originating on that platform, I don't know what that says, but it is interesting. I'm looking at the courses on the DS, and I forgot about all the different battle arenas 
and oh, fighting it out on ah, the Nintendo DS. Yes. With the little angled yep. <laughs> screen. <laughs> so good. And the cake, dude. Yeah, maybe the last genuinely good battle feature. I, I've not enjoyed the battling in Mario Kart 8 personally. 8 Deluxe is better. They originally launched on the Wii U with a battle mode, but you were playing on the racetracks. They fixed it, but we've played a lot of Mario Kart Deluxe. Shine Thief or whatever, and the one with the bombs. Uh, oh, man. I am so... I'm waffling here because I have some stuff that right now... Well, I have a couple ones I could pick, and I have one that right now is an honorable mention but may end up being something that I want to... Uh, consider adding when we do the tap 100 which we should talk about how that's gonna work because i have some thoughts uh i'm gonna go with the do i go with the heart pick or do i go with the the weird pick i mean trauma centers on the fucking top 100 just follow your heart chris it's a good game uh i'm gonna go with uh i just can't keep fucking picking metroid games all the time like i just don't prime pinball (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, but that is i mean yes okay I'm, i know yeah it's okay it's metroid prime pinball i am an unapologetic fan of this game i when they announced it i thought okay i didn't really know what to think about it and they didn't really do a lot of marketing for it it had like one trailer and then it sort of arrived without any fanfare um and when i actually got my hands on it I was pleasantly surprised that it was not simply like here is a pinball game with some tables that are modeled after locations in Metroid Prime, but it is you are playing Metroid Prime with pinball tables. So you begin in the Chozo Ruins, I think, maybe in the Talon Overworld, and it's got this beautiful like bespoke pinball table based on the environments in the Talon Overworld from Metroid Prime. Um you're collecting artifacts by completing uh, different like mini games and objectives based on like what you would expect from a pinball table, like shooting certain ramps uh, or uh, hitting certain targets in order to generate little shooting mini games where you would get the ball over a certain point on the map and Samus. Oh, the, the, the ball is the morph ball, obviously, first of all, uh, and that when you step onto the platform, Samus unmorphs. And starts firing and you do little shooting mini games with waves of enemies coming at you. So the fact that they managed to also incorporate like no, I won't say gunplay, but like elements of this being a Metroid game with Samus and, you know, the arm cannon is really fucking cool. And then as you continue through, you encounter different bosses like the one that I remember the most is uh, is uh, Thardis. When you get to Fendrana Drifts, you have a little fight against Thardis where you've got to hit specific points on the body, just like you do in Metroid Prime, but with pinball uh, pinball paddles and like a high-low uh, type of joint with paddles up in the upper environment. You've got to get up from the lower to the upper. Um, Meta Ridley, the Metroid Prime, I mean, like all of the main boss fights from this game are there, and all of them have like beautiful bespoke pinball tables for them. And it also came bundled with a Game Boy Advance cartridge that doubled as a rumble pack because they felt that in order to make this game work, you needed to have a sense of rumble in the same way that you would uh, the physical get the physical stimulus of a pinball table under your hands. I like that's so fucking cool that they're like this little handheld can't do it, but we can make it do it by building a specific cartridge just for this game that will give us a rumble feature. I still have it. I think it's just 
a really great example of going, how can we translate this game into a completely different medium, but do so in as loving and thorough a way as possible? Badly, badly underrated Metroid game, badly underrated addition to the DS library, and just a solid-ass pinball game all around. I feel like you can't be an avid gamer and not have like one pinball game where you're like, yeah, unironically, this game fucks. I'll play it for hours. Windows XP. Space Cadet, yeah. <laughs> have you played any of this, EJ? No, I've never played this particular one. Uh, you know, I stay away from Metroid. <laughs> you know, I just, you know. Once bitten, twice shy. Yeah. Before I give you my honorable mention, can I ask you guys, again, this is sort of a weird time. The DS was around for so long. I, I, I talk about the DS as being something that, you know, was introduced to us in middle school, but I was still buying new DS games as, as a 20-year-old. So it spans like this really formative period of time in our lives when pokemon black and white came out nick do you remember what the consensus was at the time around those games i feel like i have a version of history in my head that is not accurate to how people talk about those games just the the friend group consensus the the three or four people that i knew that was into pokemon still at that point because what that was after diamond and pearl it was after platinum yep after the heart it was gold. Before heart gold. It was before heart gold. It was, it was gold after. It was after. It was, it after. was? Oh yeah. My, I thought it was before. I thought it was black and then heart gold, then black, white too, but I, I could be misremembering. Yeah. I mean, at that point, we were, I was like a senior in high school. So there was barely anyone who was still playing it. And if they were, it was hate playing. It was like you playing Sword and Shield, you know, like not really the target audience anymore. Yeah. So my general consensus around it was oh, bad Pokemon game. Did black and white, did it really come out? Before? I, I just have this memory of buying Heart Gold my senior year of high school. And I thought it was at the beginning of the first semester, but it might have been the beginning of the second semester. No, no, no. Okay. That was 09. Heart Gold and Soul Silver were the last on the DS because at the time there was some discussion that that was going to be the last Pokemon game. No, it for sure wasn't the last. Black and white came out after I had graduated. So that would have been after May 2010. I'm going to find some dates here. I'm curious. I'm going to find some dates. We're going to set the record straight. Diamond Pearl, 06. Platinum, 08. Heart Gold, Soul Silver, 09. Black and White, 10. Black and White, 2, 2012. Yeah, so okay. I was out of high school at that point. Yeah. So Interesting. only had like you and Max to tell me what you, what you guys thought of it. Well, I remember my brother bought... My brother, this is like his favorite Pokemon game other than like Let's Go, I think. Like he loves Black and White. Or Black and White 2, maybe. But I remember... He bought this for me for Christmas, the Christmas after I graduated high school, and I didn't even get to the first gym leader. I was like, fuck this game. I don't know these Pokemons. There's no Rattata. Well, I don't know if it was that. or Who's if, this bird? If it was quality of life stuff. I don't. I just remember being like, this is, maybe it just wasn't for me. But I remember the people in my life talking about how bad it was and they didn't finish it. I remember the discourse online for whatever that's worth in 2010 people being upset about it and the fact that they did a direct sequel to it some people look back on that as oh that was like creative bankruptcy i guess like that was the first sort of sign of trouble in my mind i'm like pokemon black and white were bad so they made a sequel that fixed all the issues and everyone loved the sequels and now everyone's clamoring for a black and white remake and i'm sitting here like that game was so bad, they had to remake it. And they had to immediately fix their mistakes. I don't understand why people are clamoring for these games. 
I don't understand. And it always goes back to the thing that we talk about of like every game's some kid's first Pokemon game. So there are a bunch of six-year-olds who played it for the first time and loved it. And now those guys are 27 and, and want a remake. But I don't, I just, I remember it as being bad. I didn't like it. I remember it as being hated by both my friends and the people on Twitter at the time. And I remember it as being something that had to be immediately fixed by the Pokemon company. So I don't understand why it's regarded as a number one or number two on a on a best gens of all time list. I don't get it. My recollection is that a lot of folks really grabbed onto the fact that it had something resembling a story, which is not usually that was new. That was yes, new. that yeah. was new, <laughs> and also specifically N as an antagonist being actually really interesting and having. Having a goal that felt like, oh, this guy actually is kind of making sense instead of like copy pasta Team Rocket with a different color palette. You know what I mean? But we'll see. I'm sure we're getting those uh, probably crappy diamond, pearl, shiny, brilliant, whatever the fuck they called them ass chibi versions as a cash grab later this year. So maybe I'll swallow my swallow my uh, principles and replay it just to see. I can see a lot of people liking this because it's all new Pokemon until you get to the national decks and you can actually unlock previous Pokemon. So there's no like nostalgia bait of here's that Pokemon you remember from five years ago. So if that misses you, then that misses you. And also the uh, instead of doing a platinum or emerald or yellow or crystal, it actually had a sequel. So for the first time since Kanto, and Johto, there's actually a return to this location with a time duration between the two. So I could see people getting that double dose and getting really attached to that location and the extended sort of variety that comes with a sequel to it. And I remember people liking the sequel even more. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, I get it. But also, I was so checked out of Pokemon in that at that point. Like, I don't think I played Fire Red Leaf Green. I didn't play Ruby Sapphire. I didn't play Diamond Pearl. Like, I was... Oh damn! Gen one, Gen two, and then I came back later, after the fact, like jumped in and played like Heart Gold, Soul Silver, and I was like, oh yeah, I love these games. And then I went further back after that, but I never, I played. I want to say like maybe up to two gyms in black and white, but I think I was just sort of, uh, I was over it by that point as far really? as my Pokemon intake. I don't remember the the timeline of when I was playing these. I was probably borrowing them from Max or something. So. Anyway, that was just a little side tangent because as I was doing research for the honorable mentions, I was just looking at some of the well, most well-regarded DS games and I was shocked to see Pokemon is always, always at the top of the list. And my honorable mention is never on the list, which frustrates me, especially in lieu of some of its contemporary titles in the same franchise. I'm talking about a game we have talked about before, which is Kirby Squeak Squad. I think top three Kirby game, it's kind of a low bar. But there's a lot of Kirby games, and they're all kind of the same. This one obviously being known for the copy palette on the bottom screen. You would collect powers. I think you could hold like five different power-ups, and you could save them for later, or you could mix and match them and combine powers, and there's all these different combinations you could do. Obviously, the predecessor to all of that was uh, Crystal Shards on the N64, which you could combine any two powers together. And you can even double up with powers and get a more powerful version of it. But uh, Squeak Squad, I remember that being a people were happy that they brought that back and they sort of did a different twist on it. Like it wasn't every single power. It was like specific sort of combinations would do uh, new things. But 
yeah, I always love it when they do that. I wish they would put that in more Kirby games. I could see that being kind of difficult to come up with that many different variations, but I mean, it's a Kirby game. Right. And I think you can combine more than two powers. You could like mix and match. Yeah, I just remember there being a fewer variety of combinations than 64, but that's just, I haven't played Squeak Squad, but I heard it was good. There's that cute little mouse guy on and shit. So the other thing that I remember in retrospect, I think this game informed the way that all 2D Kirby games, how they would control and how they would feel moving forward. There is, I think, a big difference jumping to this particular game in how Kirby controlled, how his momentum felt in the world. It was snappier, it was smoother, it was fast, which historically Kirby can be a little slow, a little plodding. You know, this isn't supposed to be a snappy action platformer like Mario or something, but this game took it to that next level, which is what I want out of a game like this. I mean, you're running around with a fucking sword on fire or throwing diamonds at people or whatever. Like, I want it to be snappy and quick. And to me, that's the direction that these kind of Kirby games went in after Squeak Squad. Uh, and again, the fact that this isn't on any of the top 50 or top 100 DS games is criminal to me. They all have the Super Nintendo remake on those lists, which is like a fun game, but like... Or Canvas Curse, probably. Uh, I never played Canvas Curse, which had a sequel on the Wii U. One of the few exclusives to the system. <laughs> yeah, people liked the the line drawing mechanic. I mean, it's barely a Kirby game. It's just a Kirby game because Kirby is round and can roll on right. a line that you draw. And this, the DS is good at facilitating your ability to draw lines on something. But yeah, I don't know how much of a influence that is on the timeline of Kirby beyond the two games that had that mechanic. Kirby just... Kirby gets knocked, and we've talked about this, and I talked about it when we were uh, putting Forgotten Land on the uh, top 100 and discussing the general review disparity that Kirby faces. People love to just pile on this game because they want it to be harder, uh, which is just so goddamn irritating to me. Uh, Every game doesn't have to be meaningfully difficult. Like, there are challenges to Kirby. You will not beat every level your first time without dying and certainly not collect and find everything your first time through on dying. And sometimes that's enough, but for a lot of reviewers, it's like, mm, okay, seven, you know, three stars. It's fine. Four out of five, I guess. I had an easier time 100%ing Mario Wonder than I did attempting to 100% Forgotten Land. And I don't know if that's, you know, the, the difficulty is not necessarily one for one. You know, they're different types of games, but it seems silly when we decide to shit on a game because it's not challenging enough. And you like to say people not wearing the right hat for certain experiences. Kirby as a franchise is like definitely tops out at like it's a B tier franchise, mostly with a few exceptions. But the good games are really good. And I I would take Squeak Squad and triple deluxe and forgotten land pretty much over every Mario game. That isn't like super Mario world. EJ of the four DS games that Kirby had squeak squad is the lowest Metacritic. I know why, why is that? Second lowest is Kirby superstar ultra the remake, the remake. Yeah. And then both with an 83 or no, actually one's an 83, 86. Okay. So mass attack is an 83. And Canvas Curse, 86. Kirby is just, he's criminally underrated, man. Chris, you're right. Perpetually, throughout history. 
what they really need to make Kirby popular with critics is to make him a sad dad and make it a third person over the shoulder, slow walking game where you have to cry about something and there'd be like a morally, a morally gray Kirby, you know, then finally we can masturbate to Kirby or we could drop him into a strange and, um, dare I say Lovecraftian hellhole with no information plot or tutorials and have him die endlessly as he moves <laughs> forward through this world fighting. If they made Kirby actually good and fun to play more than once, yeah, I could see that getting a 90 on Metacritic. Let's oh go. Oh my God. Kirby Souls. <laughs> Dark Kirby. Kirborn. You fought Nightmare in, in uh, Kirby 64. It is already Lovecraftian. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Those are three games that probably won't make it on the top 100 in a couple of weeks when we revisit that list, but... They're games we wanted to shout out because we love them. You know what else we love? You know what else Chris loves? It's the stage. I think there's no denying that Chris loves the stage. And apparently, I hear through the grapevine that your love of games and the love of stage merged this past week. I won't preface too much, but you would ask me to do a thing that was very video game related, and I didn't really understand how they were tied in, but apparently they are tied together in some way that I did not realize. And you're going to tell us all about that right now. I, of course, as I've you know discussed, I'm a director and educator by trade, theater educator specifically, colleges and universities. And whenever I get to bring to bear one of my like major hobbies into theater, it's just a gigantic treat. And to wit, uh, towards the end of last semester, uh, we had a guest director slated to come in and direct a show in February. And very abruptly, we found out that um, under some semi-shady circumstances, he had not communicated that he was waiting to hear from another offer that would have potentially been more lucrative. So then we hear from him, hey, I took this other job, sorry. Uh, and kind of left us high and dry late in the term at a point in which we probably should have already had a title chosen and maybe be in design meetings for that title. Uh, so my colleague, Alan, who's very, very close to Tiffany and I, uh, they married us actually in Baton Rouge. They were in Tiff's uh, graduate cohort. Alan said, Chris, do you want to direct a show in February? I said, Alan, I would love to direct a show in February because it has been by this point two years since I directed anything since finishing my MFA, which has been a really nice break. Uh, but I was like, yeah, I'm feel I'd been feeling ready. I'd been feeling a little itchy that I probably was going <laughs> to self produce something this semester. <laughs> and then here this comes. Uh, and because the timeline was so short and because it was sort of a do whatever you want situation, we just need a title. I sent them a couple titles by one of my favorite fucking playwrights, Jennifer Haley, who writes a lot of stuff about ethics of digital spaces. Um, like the, there's one she has called the nether that I wanted to do. That is like re gets really intense into some ethical conundrums in virtual spaces and virtual existence. And what is considered acceptable and unacceptable there to like a pretty terrifying degree in that particular play. And she also has a title that I've been sitting on for 10 years called Neighborhood 3 Requisition of Doom that they did at Linfield right after I left. No justice that they do a video game you play after I leave. And this is a play that is ostensibly about a bunch of teenagers in an upper middle class to upper class suburb 
getting addicted to an online video game called Neighborhood 3, which uses GPS satellites to and uh, floor plans from the Neighborhood Association to map your neighborhood. And the kids move through a digital version of that neighborhood, murdering zombies that look exactly like their uh, family and friends. So Oof. when I read this at first, I was really defensive already because I, I was afraid that this was going to be another like moral panic bullshit like video games make us right. violent Hillary Clinton ass bullshit. A little on the nose, huh? I was extremely pleasantly surprised to find out after reading it that it's really not about that at all. Really, it's about the disconnect between parents and children, especially in the upper middle class, where throwing money and things to try to bridge the gap into your kids' lives uh, actually just makes that divide worse and creates things that will fester over time um, while they're both trying to bridge it and trying to communicate and trying to know one another. And it uses video games as a medium to probe that relationship. And I was like, damn, this is super exciting. Uh, the script has a number of walkthroughs that to me are basically like a Twitch streamer narrating uh, their channel, describing the gameplay. Uh, and that sort of threads us between every single scene. And then of course we, we see some folks playing the game and then later this isn't going to come out until the show is already closed. So, you know, spoilers, if you missed it, if you're in Bowling Green and you miss it, that's, that's on you. We had five nights. Um, when we get to the end of the show and the game world has completely bled over and blended into the real world, we have a scene between an in-game player and one of the adults who has just sort of wandered into this completely overlapped world in which one person is basically doing full video game movement vocabulary with armor and a weapon and the other person is just like behaving like a human. So all those walkthroughs gave us a chance to like a cast somebody. These are voice recordings, a chance to cast somebody and uh, have them basically uh, perform them like they're a Twitch streamer. And we got somebody, thank God, had somebody in the department who used to YouTube uh, his gameplay for a number of years. And so already was of that world. So we've got him doing that, uh, even as those walkthrough instructions continue to get like more and more fucked up and surreal and strange. Um, and as we were moving actors in and out of scenes, we did this in uh, arena staging for those unfamiliar. It means there's audience completely surrounding the playing space and then additional playing areas in the corners between them, uh, exploring like NPC and uh, MMO RPG, especially movement vocabularies on a physical body. So having people move through space with that kind of stilted arms up to the side, bobbing kind of thing, and then turning with their body before their head or turning with their head and their body at the exact same time, uh, really sharp angled corners. Um, the first thing we did when we got into rehearsal was spend like a whole night coming up with what is all of the movement vocabulary for the walkthroughs? How do these player characters pick up objects and then demonstrate that they've just equipped them. How do we put things into in our inventory and take them out of our inventory? How do we crouch? Um, how do we attack? How do we drink something? Um, so it's all this like wacko video game on a human body movement vocabulary, which was so fun to create together. Uh, and then the other piece of this is that this is very much a horror play. 
uh, that we start out of this like idyllic looking suburban neighborhood and there's this, this deep undercurrent of dread that's running through and the kids are like, something is wrong, something is off, something is coming. And then when it finally arrives and we go all the way into the nightmare of this video game world, I was like, okay, how are we going to really bring people into this video game world? So we did things like um, we had one character that her both of the roles that she played in the show were done well before with the time we got to this particular scene. So I was like, okay, so you're our zombie. It's like we need to see one. If that's if that's going to be, you know, what this the enemies in this game are, we need to see at least one. And so having her come out. And have our sort of non-player mom character going like, what the hell was that? And then coming out a second time, we did a lot of gore effects on this show and a lot of uh, a lot of gore foley, meaning live sound. Uh, so in this particular instance, we would take uh, we'd cut a grapefruit in half and then we'd peel it and seed it and we would soak it in stage blood for like an hour. And then when Hannah, the actor, is coming out holding this in her hand for it looked like a fucking chunk of brain. Like grapefruit soaked and stage blood looks like a fucking brain. And we would have Hannah shamble over to. I kind of put the cart before the horse here. We have a splash zone. The front row of three of the <laughs> the front row of three of the audience sections have plastic ponchos and uh lap cloths. Uh Hannah would walk out with that brain, stand right next to the person on the corner of the splash zone. And just eat this grapefruit with big open mouth sounds while like blood and juice just drips Ugh. all over that audience member. So I'm talking like <laughs> while it's just splashing everywhere. I designed the fucking trick and it is disgusting for me to watch. So we did shit like that. Um, I found a YouTube video of one of the guys who works for uh the Mortal Kombat studio uh, bringing a reporter from Vice in to show how he creates a lot of the sounds in that. And he has he gave me some amazing ideas that I would have never thought you could use produce in this capacity. Like if you take a <laughs> if you take a bell pepper, a nice, like pretty, like not like green, green, but the very firm bell pepper and you twist it. As it's cracking open, it sounds for all intents and purposes like a chest cavity just getting ripped open. Ugh. So we constructed a series of sound where I have an actor off stage in front of a microphone wired to a separate amp. So it's outside the sound system. It's only for this trick. And he'll turn the amp on right before that moment. He screams as though he is being attacked by one of the zombies, then starts ripping the bell pepper open in front of the microphone as he starts to whimper. Then we got a grapefruit with a hole cut into the top that he sticks his fingers in and starts squishing and ripping it open like they're getting into the guts. And then as he stops vocalizing as the character, he picks up another piece of peeled grapefruit, puts it in his mouth and is with all the juice strips. So we did stuff like that. We have a guy in a gut bag, um, coming out uh, and being caught. We have a section at the end where we went to full black in the house, all the projectors off, all the lights off, and we just have one flashlight with the diffusion gel on it. So we're getting really limited light. Actors coming out with like paintbrushes and containers of blood and loading up the paintbrush and just flicking paint all over the people in the splash zone. The guy with the gut bag is dripping blood out of little sponges in his hand right over their heads. Um, I was like, I'm very, I've been, 
spoiler for what I've been playing. I've been way in Resident Evil four for the last three weeks. And so these things have really informed each other. So I'm really glad that I came to Resident Evil when I did last year so that I could kind of be start to be steeped in that. But it's really video gamey and and weird and bizarre. Tiffany came to a dress rehearsal because I wanted her eyes and ears on it. And she's like, yeah, I'm, this is a really weird and kind of disturbing play in some places. And I'm watching it and I'm just shaking my head and looking over my husband and going, Chris, you David Lynch bitch. <laughs> and it is weird and dreamlike and fun and interesting. And yeah, you know, EJ, what you mentioned that you um, my opening night gift to the cast and the production team, uh, EJ designed a custom Nintendo Switch label for Neighborhood 3 that had the poster on the front, Neighborhood 3 Requisition of Doom with the Western Kentucky logo where the publisher logo goes on the spine, and then like staff and uh, actor credit on the back, rated M for uh, puns. And I bought a lot of like 25 empty switch cases and uh, wrote a note to everybody in second side. So everybody got their own copy of Neighborhood 3 uh, as the cast gift. I just had such a fucking good time, man. Like I want to do this play for a decade and I finally got a free pass to just really go for it and try a lot of big things we've never really done in our black box theater, like having four projectors hitting four separate house facades that have images changing and degrading as like shits go into pot uh, through the course of the play. And like there's AstroTurf in the space in front of all the house facades to create like front and backyards and sidewalk paint treatment and a big carpeted area in the middle with all the furniture for the interior scenes. Like we really pushed the theater basically to its like absolute limit and um, probably one of the most gratifying directing experiences of my life if it's not number one and it might be number one how much time from inception to opening night do you have to put together all of the props and the effects and costuming i mean it seems like a lot to do in a short amount of time yeah it was we had a couple things going that worked that that worked in our favor and some things that really did not one thing working in our favor is that I had had this play on the back burner for so long that I already had like a pretty good sense of what I wanted to do in terms of like the execution of it on the acting side, like with the video game vocabularies and whatnot. And as I started researching different things we could do for like gore and the splash zone really more than anything was a marketing technique because I knew like going back to Hitchcock's psycho a big reason why that film was as successful as what it was is that they made audience members sign a waiver and they also had signage in the lobbies of the theater cautioning people if they were pregnant or had heart conditions to not see this film. So they primed the audience, manipulated them with marketing in a way that I thought that uh, Parasite also did really, really well that they market that as a horror movie. And then the first like act and a half of Parasite, you're like, just anxiously waiting for the shoe to drop. And it's not really that not, not really a horror film until it gets into the late second and the third act. So I was like, if we can do something similar with this splash zone, it really took on a life of its own, at least amongst the department and in our social media marketing that people were like fighting over those seats and were wondering the whole show last night at opening, when is the blood going to come and like nervously putting their ponchos up when they thought it was going to happen. And they go, okay, it's not yet. And then pulling their poncho back. <laughs> The so you stress. made the front row part part of the show. 
Yeah, Everyone exactly. Else is watching them too. Exactly, exactly. So it's it, it's creating an atmosphere so that when people come in, they're already like, "What the fuck is going to happen?" Which is exactly what we need right at the beginning of a horror play. That's a slow burn. Like it takes us until the eighth of nine scenes to get to a lot of chaos, and then when we get to scene nine, we have a moment where we feel like maybe that was just a bad dream. And then we unplug that and realize, oh, no, this really has been happening. And then we have a really visceral moment of violence with a one of the kids beating uh, their mom to death with a claw hammer, which was another Foley effect that uh, I found uh, somebody who works in film that uh, suggested using cantaloupes. And so we had a whole night where we just like smashed a bunch of different kinds of melons with hammers as a cast. It was very cathartic. Uh, but the cantaloupe. <laughs> if it's, yeah. If the cantaloupe is like not too ripe, but like medium ripe, not too green, not too, not too ready to be cut open. You get a really salis- satisfying like boom, boom, boom. the first couple times you hit it before the crack. And then it's like really fleshy, wet sounds while you're hitting the inside of it. Sounds like somebody's fucking head getting smashed in. So the audience is hearing that. For like probably 25 to 30 seconds, an uncomfortably long amount of time while blood is being thrown every time the hammer is being pulled back. So the door to the theater is just soaked with stage blood when everybody's leaving. Um, I got off on one. Your question was timeline. A lot of this stuff we found in rehearsal. and I just layered it in at the right moment. Like we have the physical framework of the show up after about a week. Great. Let's start adding in some of the effects. We had our night where we like ripped a bunch of produce open and smashed melons and figured that stuff out. We had another night like a week later where our blood guy, our gore master was the formal title we landed on for him. A student who had done a bunch of work uh, over the summer and learning about this stuff, come in and try out a bunch of delivery methods for all of the gore. Uh, All that was about we we had one month and two days between first rehearsal and opening. So it was a short timeline design wise. It was, it was, I owe my designers a lot. I, the faculty who were involved, I owe some drinks for sure. And the students, I probably shouldn't be buying them drinks, but like whatever the equivalent of like buying a drink for an undergraduate student that you teach is, They deserve that because this was a very condensed design process. And on top of that, we had one week to load this show in because I don't think everybody realized how unrealistic a timeline that was when we set the calendar last year. So we finished up a dance show in the black box theater. They had five days to paint the floor, install the house facades, get the AstroTurf down, hang cable focus program before the start of tech. It was not ready to go by the start of tech. We had a number of things ready to go, but literally through no one's fault at all, just a sheer logistics of we only have five days. We were installing stuff in pieces through Tech Weekend, which Nick, you know from being a part of tech processes that imagine having like light sound and projections and we started tech with lights. (laughs) Like that was it. And so we queued our lights and some sound through like the first couple scenes. And then on Sunday... We had some more sound, and so we queued to queued again with lights and some more sound and didn't really have projections until first dress, and even then, they weren't really done. Um, so they had to put in a lot, a lot of extra time to get this fucking show up. Isn't this crushingly stressful for you as the director? <laughs> like, that sounds horrible. <laughs> Honestly, no, and usually it would be, and I was really puzzled when we were getting ready to go into spacing, and I'm looking... 
I'm looking at, you know, stuff going up and going, God, are we going to, is this going to get done on time? But everything that we were doing in the rehearsal room, I felt was so locked in and trending in the right direction every single time we were rehearsing that I was very unbothered going into tech. I did have a moment Saturday morning at the first day where I went, I literally just need you to tell me you need three more hours so I can send the actors home and we can start at two o'clock instead of 11. Literally just tell me and I will do it because I would much rather you have the time to do what you need to do. And Josh, my colleague was like, that would be fantastic. So it, great actors go away, come back at one thirty for a two o'clock go. And I did Tuesday first dress have the one moment of, Oh my God, what are we going to do? But there's always one, there is always one dress oh, rehearsal. Yeah. That's just going to fucking suck. And that was our dress rehearsal that fucking sucked. And after that, we were golden Wednesday, Thursday, strong, strong performances with all the elements getting locked in. Talked to my scenic designer off the ledge who also had to learn how to program and map projections for the first time. Um, Josh, my colleague who did sound had to take his wife to the emergency room on Tuesday night. So Uh-oh. we didn't have him to troubleshoot any problems. She's okay. She's, she's okay. Um, and of course, we had some new sound problems for the first time that we could not figure out how to solve. So it was very start and stop and blah, blah, blah. But we stayed the course. And a big part of directing is cultivating the culture and the energy that you want to have in your room. So as long as I'm good, the actors generally will follow and will be like, OK, like if Chris isn't worried, then I don't need to be worried. Um, and I can express my worry in other places, obviously. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, when I I was doing the switch cases, I I, I kind of I'm just doing what you asked me to do, but I I had a moment of thought where I was like, what does this have to do with anything? Is this Chris just like really forcing his love for this medium into? It's like, oh, you're giving your cast switch cases. That's a little weird. <laughs> Without stopping to consider for a moment that the play was <laughs> video game related uh until you said something i was like oh well i'm an idiot that makes a lot more sense now doesn't it i will say while the switch case is chosen for obvious reasons because like that's what i went on my shelf and it's just cute and small and a lot easier i think to like distribute it just looks better i like the switch case uh but this would a hundred percent be a game pass ass game (laughs) neighborhood three would be and they specifically talk about like playing on an xbox which also kind of sucks too, because then it would have been easy to set this in like the early 2000s and have it be an honest to God, like period piece throwback. Uh, but we talk about Xbox too much for that to work and people playing online anyway. Yeah. Fucking ripper of a time. Super proud of them. Great opening night last night. The audience, all the stuff we laid in, like little whispers of dialogue happening in corners out of like certain speakers. I'm seeing people like look over their shoulders and doors opening on their own at certain moments, people like freaking out over in the other audience section. And then of course, like when we go to blackout and blood starts flying, like people vocalizing, we did good. I'm very proud of it. And it sounds like every night after the show, you get to have a nice salad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little grapefruit bell pepper salad. Do you guys film these or, or or do they just disappear forever once the show closes? I think that I'm going to get some high quality clips because the student broadcast news station came and did some interviews and during one of our good dress rehearsals, my assistant director kind of like basically pointed them to locations that they could get good shots and they were moving around through the space and getting some like pretty high quality clips. 
Um, I did kick them out before the crazy scene, though, because I didn't want any of that stuff in press before the show gets going. Um, so I don't know. I'll have some great pictures. Uh, I wish I could wear like a button cam or something so that I could capture people's faces. To me, it seems like a no brainer to, to even just putting a camera in the back. I know that stage does not translate to video unless you have a very elaborate setup, multiple nights and multiple cameras and all these things. But, but just to have a record of this thing, even if it's just a camera in the back filming the wide shot of everything that's happening on the stage, you know, because to me, that's one of the things, and maybe this is the beauty of stage in theater. To me, the tragedy is that when the show closes, it's gone forever. And there are not a lot of mediums like that to me, especially as someone who, likes to collect his physical media here and have records of everything and be able to look back wistfully and through the lens of nostalgia, just being like, yep, that just doesn't exist anymore except for in this compartment of my brain. We that, often oof. do performance capture. Uh, I could just set up my iPhone, honestly, because I've got an iPhone 15 now. It's good quality. Um, this particular show poses a challenge, though, because it's in Arena, which means that you would realistically need to record from multiple audience sections on multiple nights in order to have what you would need to adequately capture it. And then also I'll send you some pictures of the set, but we, like I said, we used every inch of the space and in the walkways between some of the audience sections, that's all playing space going alongside the audience, almost all the way towards the backside of the theater next to the tech booth. And so it would have been a multi-night effort to capture this entire show. Uh, I would like to try and get some sneaky video of the crazy stuff. At least maybe I can like slap a GoPro on the player character in scene eight, like just like attach it to their helmet. And then I could at least get some, at least get some footage from their POV. That might be kind of cool. And it would be very much in keeping with like the theme of the costume. I don't know, but that is the beauty of it also is that it's something that has to be experienced live. Um, I'll have some portfolio clips, which is great at least, uh, but I don't know if I'll get a whole thing. I wonder what the uh, logistics of doing like a 360 video, like they do the NBA VR courtside experience wonder what that would look like for a (laughs) for a play especially with something like you're saying that has directional audio and you want to look over your shoulder and see that the door opened by itself and that someone is dying off stage in a grisly manner that you can only hear but it's directional audio that kind of thing i don't know what that exactly sort of setup would look like as far as renting or who is available nearby to do something like that but ej's right like it would be really cool to have a copy of that like even watching a video of a play is cool. Going to a play obviously is better, but a video of the thing and for something for your students to remember this by and for you to market your abilities as a director, showing something is better than just telling them about it. Oh, 100%. And we were supposed to have money for a new, like a brand new camera to do performance capture and dance photography. And that got thrown out the window when we had to do like an 8% temporary budget tightening Tighten to, the belt. Oh to yeah. Account yeah for we all know about that <laughs> last year's sh- uh, overspending by a number of organizations, but primarily athletic. Of course it's always athletics. P 
people got fired over this. So it was, it was definitely not a oopsie doodle. Sorry about that situation. It was a, you really fucked up situation, like seven figure Damn. fuck up. Uh, oh, sounds yeah. like athletics. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yep. That's what they call the Blazers, the seven figure fuck up. Okay. Ooh. We're only the fifth worst team in the league. Ooh, let's, let's show some respect. Hurts. It could be a lot. It's probably more figures. That was just me being funny. Listen, we're regular bad, okay? And that's acceptable. There were four teams who were historically bad, all right? Keep my team's name out your motherfucking mouth. Hey, it's all of our team, whether we want it to be or not. Oh, uh, I had a college professor. He he ran the um, the media department who was very forward in his opinions about the, the bureaucracy. And this is just a community college, you know? This isn't even, you know, this isn't some big fancy university. Very upfront about his thoughts and uh, uh, opinions about the bureaucrats who who run the show and the people who control the budget and where that money goes. And it was very interesting to get a peek behind the curtain. Everything is all the same everywhere. Doesn't matter your industry. Doesn't matter your expertise or your speciality. It's just all the same fucking thing. It's money and it's stupid. But anyway, uh, it sounds like you had a blast, dude. That was fun to hear about. I'm just imagining people in like these ridiculous costumes doing like gta movement you know <laughs> like i'll have to get some get some video of the the stuff that sage does because we had like the general vocabulary that everybody used in the walkthroughs but then sage the actor who plays the the player character in scene eight and then the kid in scene nine who was playing the player character who then kills his mom um took it and ran with it i mean ran way beyond anything i imagined that we're in full constant video game movement and like an AF animation loops. Yes. And an AFK gesture of like one of these <laughs> yeah, and just looping that back and forth and how they would do different, like Fortnite style emotes when they would say things like LOL or WTF, like they, they went fucking crazy with it. Like it's amazing what, what That's great. Sage did in the scene. I wonder how that translates to an audience who does not understand or who don't play video games and don't necessarily understand that is this does that just become more of an uncanny sort of thing for them where like oh these I people think are so. acting strange yeah and that's okay as long as they get the sense that the world of the walkthroughs and the world of scene 8 is different than our world and that they have now overlapped when we get to scene 8 then we've done our job and i think that in that regard we definitely have nice but the people who do like all my fucking students know fortnite so when sure. Sage is going like, LOL, they're like, ha, they're all laughing and pointing like they get it. Good shit, man. That sounds like a lot of fun. I'm sad that you live on the other side of the country because I would have loved to go uh, and check that out. Oh, One day yeah, you'll dude. be back on this side of town and we'll be able to come to all your th things and oh, better believe it. Take you out for a whiskey afterward. We were going to talk Nintendo Direct and I think we're still going to try, but I would rather jump into what we've been playing lately and, and hear Nick. He said he's beat three games. No rush. He's peeing right now. He said he's beaten three games since last we talked, and I, I know he's had a little bit more time off just because everyone was sick with COVID, so we took some days off and had a little bit more time, and that's great. So we'll probably just jump over to that, and then maybe the last 20 minutes we can blow through some of the Nintendo stuff. I don't know. There's nothing... I mean, this is a direct-to-DVD Nintendo Partner Direct. Like, it wasn't exactly, you know, a world-beater. stream it. They just dropped it. Like, here you go. Watch at your leisure. Some pleasant surprises, though. A, I, a pleasant surprise, for sure. Good direct. I was surprised. I mean, I have never thought that any of the partner directs have been good. No, because they never are. And, and that's this was, fine. This was, this was good. This was a B direct. And that's way better than I expected anyway. 
Let's hope the Pokemon Presents that we are not going to be able to cover because that's the day the episode comes out is better. No, it's always bad. It's always bad. I know. Okay. All right. The Pokemon Nick. ones are always bad. The partner ones are fine. And this was a good end of that fine. We may. Well, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I have defeated. I have vanquished three different video games since last we spoke. It's a lot of games. Last time Chris and I, we talked about Final Fantasy VII and I had just finished. What was I on? Like disc one out of three. So I was more than, I would say about halfway through the game for Final Fantasy VII. I had just gotten to a very climactic moment. Some things changed after that. But now I am finished with that game. I I spent a lot longer than I thought doing some grinding because it was entertaining to multiply my materia and to get the most broken-ass materia on everybody in my, my main combat trio was fun. But, I don't know, it's a fine game. Final Fantasy VII is an okay game. Uh, the story is pretty mediocre. The characters don't really have growth or change. Uh, the villain is striking, but not interesting in his goals or his portrayal. And funnily enough, okay, this is like kind of a spoiler for the final boss, but this is just a funny thing, an anecdote I wanted to share with you, Chris. So the final boss, guess what? It's Sephiroth. And he's all fucked up looking. He's got this angel kind of body. If you watched the reveal trailer for him in Smash Bros, you got to see that in kind of 3D-ish. But anyway, you're finding you're fighting uh, Sephiroth. Um, safe, safer Sephiroth, I think is the yeah mistranslation version. of Seraph Sephiroth, which is funny. A lot of funny mistranslations in this game. Heretic Hojo instead of Heretic Hojo is like the most egregious one for me. Yeah, a lot of fun stuff like that. Anyway, you fight him, you kill him, whatever. Then it's darkness, and you have two character models. You have a really, really good-looking 3D models of Cloud for the first time, and you have Shirtless Sephiroth. Inexplicably, just because he's hot, you have Shirtless Sephiroth fighting you with a sword. Just regular-ass human Sephiroth. And it's a scripted fight. You have Omni Slash, even if you never unlocked it, and that's the one thing you can do against him, and it kills him in that animation, and it's done. However, if he attacks you first and you maybe have a counter materia on, you can just do a counter attack and kill him that way, which is what I did. <laughs> Very anticlimactic. I didn't even get to do anything. <laughs> Sephiroth at this point is like galaxy brain at the center of the planet core. Kind of, yeah. But he can like control other people. He's like in a crystal in the northern crater. From my understanding, like that's where you leave him. He's a, he's crystal he's crystalline. But he can project on t- into other people. So the problem, one of the main problems I have with this game and this story, is that it is an incomplete story that they kind of backpedal and fix in the seven other games that are spinoffs from it. So, for example, Cloud. The main thrust of this story is Cloud is an unreliable narrator who does not understand his past and is acting strange from the drop. He is a weird dude who keeps doing like these poses and shit and it's not him. And also kind of inexplicably, like they kind of hand wave it away. Tifa's just playing along with it. Like she's totally fine with it until she isn't until she has to be a character with uh, <laughs> like explaining the story and has to do the cloud uh, inside his mind sort of, plot line where they they fix him from his uh 
totally incapacitated state and she's inside his memories and like telling him no you were there but you weren't who you thought you were and you're not actually a clone of Sephiroth maybe but also that doesn't explain why you have Mako eyes from being in Soldier because you never were in Soldier but maybe you were but let's actually we'll talk about this in in a in Crisis Core I guess and everyone will just appreciate that that was always the truth and actually after the fact they got kidnapped. Him and Zach got kidnapped and were injected with, with Mako energy. And that's why he can be controlled by Sephiroth. And that fixes the story and makes him a, a good character. But anyway, yeah, this, the story, the story is bullshit and weird. And like they, they try to fix it in other games, but it is not a complete story in this game. See, I got the run. Also it ends and they just sort of like, Oh yeah, we beat Sephiroth and uh, we get a post credit scene of red 13 going to a abandoned, you know, uh, Midgar but it doesn't explain like, Oh, did people actually survive? But they didn't, but in Advent children, they did survive. So that, you know, retcons the things and makes it different than what the ending of the actual game was to begin with. So yeah, it's all just made up in horseshit, even more so than I say the Zelda timeline is the final fantasy seven timeline. Oh no, that's insulting. Chris is not stomaching this. Well, I see all the recaps that I watched gave me two hours of, prequel bullshit from all the spinoff games before I even got to the beginning of Final Fantasy. So I was like, okay, so yeah, this is what like happens. Yeah, it's all tertiary knowledge. There's a manga that that fixed some things that I didn't know about until I was like reading the wiki. I'm like, I need to find out like, did what was actually going on with Cloud in this game? And they tell me things. I'm like, that wasn't in the game. That wasn't in the game. That wasn't in the game. Citation needed. Oh, it's in this other thing that is canon. It's like Nomura ass Nomura bullshit, but he wasn't even the director of this game. He was just a character designer, but it sort of like leans into that storytelling version of like Kingdom Hearts where there's a storyline and a plot line, but they are kind of uh, malleable after the fact. It's a game where the rules are made up and the points don't matter. It's just supposed to be fun to play in the moment. It doesn't need to make sense. Quit thinking and about systemically, it. Systemically, the gameplay, like if you like the ATB, which I don't, it's great. Um, ATB is a bad version of turn-based combat, in my opinion. I just do not like it. Uh, Final Fantasy X fixed that in a lot of ways by showing you what your actions do to the events of the future. Like if you cast haste on your party, then they get their movement moves up and they get turns faster. If you get, you know, paralyzed or turn into stone or whatever, then you're not going to be attacking for a while. So I like that version of it where you have your strategizing and you have your ability to influence the, the flow of the, the fight without having to like mash your way through a menu and figure out, oh, did I actually put Ifrit on this? And he's Ifrit, the summon is like at the, you know, it's at the very top. But if you put like Neo Bahamut as a summon on your character, you have to like scroll through 10 pages of fucking summons for no reason. Like that's the only one on there, but you still have to scroll through the 10 pages of what could have been on there. You know, stuff like that. 1997 has problems. Yeah, I didn't do the optional weapon fights. There's like super bosses. I didn't, I didn't get to the point where I actually wanted to do those. I just grinded my way. I think Cloud, I think, was probably at level 80 by the time I, I finished the game. And my other two characters are probably in the seventies because you get like a double XP material that you can level up and equip onto different characters. And I just had that kind of passed around for a little bit. Does this make you interested at all in playing the remake rebirth titles? You're thinking very hard about this. I mean, no, to be blunt. No, the story and like how it changes. I have zero interest in what they change to the story because the story was bad to begin with. And I do not see anything about the story that they are like purporting to change. Like it's for fans of this game's story and like all the different 
um, extra content elsewhere, like in Crisis Quarters, Cerberus, Admit Children, before Crisis, you know, the myriad of ways they've tried to staple stuff onto the the story. And it's just another another one of those storyline wise. However, the gameplay seems really cool and I would like to experience the gameplay, but I am not like Final Fantasy VII, the original does nothing for me to make me want to play remake or rebirth because the only thing that is similar are the characters like the gameplay besides what materia like you're not doing like atb battles you're not exploring the world in the same way thank god if i never walk across another jpeg i will be happy like ps1 rpgs were very messy with that it was a bad time for walking around pre-rendered backgrounds and yeah i mean i don't know like they made Tifa hot and Aerith is hot in the new one. That's great. Good for them. That's like the most I see people excited about is like that one clip from Famitsu where it's the uh, Costa del Sol and Cloud is just ogling his babes that he carries with them. Good for him. Chris, I feel like you have a lot to respond with. here. <laughs> it's been, I don't know the last time I played the original. I have a couple of distinct memories of things that could be unreliable of some of the stuff that Nick, you were saying was not in the game that I'm pretty sure is in the game, but I have not played it recently enough to know. I do know that when I am moving through a story that is not gripping me, I check out and I miss stuff. I'm not saying that's what's going on here, but with regards to like cloud getting Mako poisoning after the events of Nibelheim, I have some, some pretty good memories of like blocky ass final fantasy seven of Zach and cloud in the truck. And Zach is kind of telling him what's happening to him because he experienced it already as somebody in soldier, but I could be completely wrong. Yeah. That never happened. They, they have a version of, you know, Zach and cloud in the, in the truck, but it is quote unquote narrated. It's text boxes of Tifa and cloud talking to each other of clouds memory saying like, yes, I was there. I was embarrassed because I was not accepted into soldier. I was just, a grunt yeah. and I was accompanying Zach and, and Sephiroth and I looked up to them, but I did not want to show my face in Nibelheim because I didn't want my family to see me. I, he showed himself to his mom and like visited her, but that was like the extent of it. Yeah. Not that truck when they're getting out of, when they're trying to get back to Midgar, which is, that is not in final fantasy seven. Mm, I'm going to, I'm going to check on that. I'm not going to do it right now. Cause go ahead. Cause you know, but I'll, but I will look at it. Cause I'm, please I'm pretty, go ahead. I played this game last week. That's okay. I'm still, I'm still pretty sure it is. I will, I will check though. Uh, and I did say it's been a long time since I, since I did this and all of the different, I haven't played all the spinoff games. I played uh crisis core, which is tight, but uh, no, I mean, yeah, it's a PlayStation one JRPG. It did a lot of things that, had not really been done before narratively in terms of, I don't know, weirdness would be a pejorative way to put it, but a story that's literally not just like the same character in different clothes being the hero's journey JRPG that literally every eight and 16 bit JRPG has. Um, and also, you know, the anti-hero thing and like, what's up with this guy? Like you said, and yeah, if ATB is not it for you, that 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 game's not going to be it for you. And I know that like action RPG is also not a genre that I see you playing much, Nick, or or enjoying when you do play. And so I don't know why you would ever want to play remake or or rebirth. I feel like that'd be like a like a thirty minute bounce off. Like I don't know that you would get to the guard scorpion, Dark Souls, and Ease and Xenoblade 
three of my favorite game series of all time are all action RPGs, so I don't know why you would think that I don't play them. <laughs> I was going to say. Like, I don't remember, I don't remember you having a lot of great things to say about what you saw of, like, Final Fantasy 16's uh, action combat or particularly enjoying well, God of War. is Wars. Final Fantasy 16 an action RPG, Chris? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Deeply customizable. Deeply customizable. Uh, which, to me, is what, uh, what qualifies something as, as an RPG at all. God of War, my favorite action RPG. I like 2018. Breath of the Wild. Yeah, I like Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom. I tried to make the argument a few years ago that that Monster Hunter was just Dark Souls with dinosaurs, and Nick still thinks that was probably the dumbest thing he's ever fucking heard. Well, it's dumb because Dark Souls is Monster Hunter with Grimdark, because Monster Hunter came first. Okay, That's same why thing. It's dumb. Same thing. Same thing. Okay. Yeah, but the order is different. Wait, so you agree with me that they're the same things, just different? Well, the combat. Is, is similar but the the loop is very different because monster hunter is like mission based and dark souls is not yeah so that's that's the main difference i don't regret not going back to play final fantasy 7 i'm still i still have my finger on the trigger of of rebirth i've been talking to brennan about it because he was playing rebirth yeah you should i was playing remake. DJ, play remake just play remake sorry i got those play remake and see if yeah 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 but i would still you know i would still check out remake because i do want to see what the combat brings to the table and that is appealing to me but as far as doing like a, a requel sort of uh, revisiting of it, like they've done that so many times, like I'll just wait for Ever Crisis to get the gotcha mechanics out of it and just play it that way. Because that seems like a condensed version of like all the different variety of uh, this world out there. I just on principle, like don't love the idea that they're doing Final Fantasy seven again and they're using it as a, a, a as an opportunity to like. I don't know. Are they fixing past mistakes? Is it just? I wouldn't say so. It seems like a love letter of like a remake. Like, like it's, why change fundamental aspects of the characters and the plot? If not, is this a creatively bankrupt? Like, oh yeah, we're just gonna go reuse a bunch of this stuff, but change a few things because we can. Or is there a meaningful reason for why these things are happening? Is it just gonna be another multiverse thing that's like we're gonna roll our eyes because every franchise is doing this? My opinion is a. If you really care, play it to find out. And B, the ethos seems to be in keeping with the plot structure and like story of the game. Like, I don't think that it's a gripping story, but the story is very much in wrapping. Like, the way they tell the story is through the unreliable narrator, which is the most important part of the game, is that you don't actually know about the past and that the past kind of keeps changing based on where in the story you are. So by retelling this game, that is the same thing. Like they're just doing that again, but they can do it in real time by breaking it up into multiple versions and also making Midgar a more interesting place than like six screens that you get lost walking through the train graveyard again. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Fucking flat ass trying to figure out what can I walk on and what can I not walk on? Yeah. Or Biggs and Wedge being characters as opposed to just Star Wars jokes. I wonder after... Chris, I wonder after you've completed Rebirth, how the last game ended, everyone talks about being like, oh, it's upended the very fabric of what Final Fantasy VII was, or if that'll just end up sort of being a tweak that seemed big that really is just in service of the original story, just telling it in a bigger way, and that the changes won't end up being as dramatic by the end of the second game, and we can assume the third game is going to continue to play it safe. Does that make sense? Uh, it does. I would say just based on the limited number of like spoiler free reviews that I've been perusing this week, once it dropped to a 93, um, it seems like 
they are doing a lot with sort of the blank check that they gave themselves at the end of remake uh and that there's a lot more to come that still is gonna be answered um i think that part of nick like you were saying with the unreliable narrator and what's different here rather than just retreading that same story sorry Gigi is losing her fucking mind and really wants to be <laughs> where i am right now hi i, I love you let Gigi talk <laughs> she's been talking she's probably gonna show up on my waveform um <laughs> anyway uh is that we start this game from a place remake from a place of knowing that the narrator is unreliable and then it's a matter of like are they is this unreliable narrator the same unreliable narrator that we had or is it now uh, unreliable in a completely different way because we already know things like the fact that the Nibelheim flashback is actually Zach's memories and so watching that in the demo and going, well, wow, they did a really good job of laying in all of the stuff of like the soldier getting sick. And if you know, like you look at the bottom half of the face model and it's like clearly the bottom half of cloud's face and it's the same voice actor, just like pitching his voice up a little bit. You wouldn't notice it if you didn't already know um, all of those, all those little things. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm interested. I'm sure it's going to be twisty and wibbly wobbly and I don't know. It's got 90 fucking three. So clearly they're doing a lot right. More very, very right than not right. Like there's just oh, no sure. way you land there otherwise, but we shall find out in a couple of days. Final fantasy seven is like the Mario 64 of, of JRPGs, like very important to the development of video games home run comparison home run comparison and that if you played it and you like it you can go back and be like yeah this is the thing that i played and that i liked but if you're coming to it for the first time everything you're saying nick that's exactly how i felt when 3d all-stars came out and i played mario 64 finally i was like what's the fucking big deal about this game i don't get it <laughs> so that's <laughs> actually like deeply heartening to hear you talk about something that's close to me and my nostalgia in really similar terms, I'm like, thank fucking God, I'm not insane just by the transitive property here. Like, I, I'm, it's <laughs> right. actually very validating. And it's not even my favorite Final Fantasy. It just was my first. So you always remember your first. But um, some subsequent ones, like 12 especially, and even 6, when I finally came to that, I like better and I think are more solid games overall. It's hard to be a game that both innovates and holds up through decades of that innovation's genealogy, right? Yeah, Mario 64 or Ocarina of Time, like they they did these fundamental things that stuck with game developers for decades. It is really difficult to go back and experience those things, having that that literacy as a gamer. Yeah, EJ, I'm sorry you can't go back and enjoy Halo because you've played shooters after Halo. <laughs> Dude, honestly, I've said it on this podcast and I'll continue to say on this podcast that Reach is the best Halo game because it was the only game that decided to try and do what modern shooters were doing as they were all surpassing Halo. Reach was like, what if we also did some of these innovative things? And it was like, oh, holy shit, this is what it should feel like. This is great. And then they just stopped doing that. No argument. They still half-assed it by having the run be an ability that you have. I know. And that you dumb. have to swap out for something else. Yeah. That's why... <laughs> I love Titanfall so much because I'm like, holy shit, this is what Halo, this was the promise of Halo 20 years ago, you know, in some uh, ways. Titanfall is more Call of Duty than Halo. 
It's from Call of Duty devs. That's where shooters went. Yeah. Because it's good. Anyway, what else have you, did you beat, Nick? You've beat uh, other things. How do you beat games so fast? Uh, you sit down, you play them, you don't scroll Twitter as much. Stop, you! And <laughs> you play games that last like six to ten hours. Final Fantasy not lasting that long. It took me 28, I believe, uh, all things considered. Uh, I finished Dredge, which is a game that came out last year. It's the fishing game? The fishing game, a spooky fishing game. This game is managing your boat. Don't get fucked up. So it's kind of like survival in that way where you are balancing. You're spinning a lot of plates. Everything you do takes time. Moving your boat takes time. You can sit in water. The time doesn't move. But as you're fishing, as you are dredging, as you are moving your, your boat around, that takes time. So stuff that you catch during the day is different than what you catch at night. Stuff you catch at night, usually more valuable. So you're selling your fish. You're trying to earn money to upgrade your boat. You're trying to find materials to upgrade your boat. And you're interacting with these townspeople who are a little bit weird and have some strange stories to tell about things they've seen in the water, shipwrecks they've witnessed, all sorts of very uh, like New England kind of vibes. Uh, and your favorite word, EJ, it's Lovecraftian. It is eldritch horrors, sea monsters from the deep, making people see things, making you see things. If you're out at night and something fucky happens around you, your panic meter, not really a meter, it's an eye at the top of the screen that travels. It'll start darting around and you're panicking and you're going to start seeing things that are not there. You have a limited vision based on how much light your boat has. So you'll be like cruising along trying to get back to town because you're getting a little panicky and you need to rest. And suddenly a rock will appear that was not there before and you will run your ship into it because of your panic being too high. So then you got to fix your ship and that costs money too. So it's very much that survival horror kind of push and pull. And also the best thing this game does is you have to manage your inventory of fish and fishing equipment and various other crap, like you're fishing treasures from the deep, and that takes up room in your boat until you drop it off in storage. And it's Resident Evil 4 inventory system. You got these like L-shaped fish, you got fish that are like T-shaped, you're doing like reverse Tetris, trying to get these fish to fit, and you want these fish because they, they, they might be worth some money, so you want to make that money, you're trying to manage your time and your inventory, going back and forth between shore, and uh, yeah, really good, entertaining brief good variety of locations i you go to like these mangroves you hear and shit in the forest there's a man that is like air force he's got like military fatigues on that you find he's in a crash airplane he's like yeah everyone that i was with is dead now there's a monster the monster didn't kill everyone but everyone's dead now and i'm trying to like you know respect their their corpses and like i'm hanging their dog tags on this tree that has kept me safe and you're finding dog tags for this man, like that kind of thing. You know, it's very much like these little vignettes of people and their weird shit that's going on. And they're, they're not all there either. And yeah, you go to, yeah, a lot of cool visual distinction between the locations and the stories that are told. Had a great time. Would recommend. So is this like truly a spoopy game or is it like cute spooky? It kind of is on the line. Like I was never actively scared, but also I don't really get scared from horror media in general so it's not like 
but there's definitely some like moments where it's like your boat jostles and you see something slithering in the water. You're like, that's unsettling. I should get out of here. <laughs> that's a little, it's, it's, it's unsettling. And there's like iconography of like spooky shit. And like the, the writing's actually pretty good too. So that kind of gets you in the mood of this like very new England kind of early 1900s, late 1800s kind of vibe. So that's nice. I average about one horror game every half decade. I played last of us one and two. They were very uncomfortable uh, experiences for me in every way. It was not a sit down and relax sort of situation. It was just, all right, I have to mentally prepare myself to sit down and be actively uncomfortable for the next three hours. This is nowhere near that. This is like, five percent of that okay a lot of that comes down to just the visual like the art style and also it's not trying to like scare you it's trying to make you go what the fuck what was that so it's more just like setting the tone you know laying the table dressing and letting you enjoy this strange meal Mm. Mm. it's nice the the fishing mini game is not super difficult or engaging or varied but it's enough to get you there. Like it's just, it's something to do to like make you worried about the time and it, it takes time. And if you miss like a button input, then the fish like drags itself a little bit further away and you're like, ah, fuck and You're trying to like do this quicker. And that, so it has that tension, but that's the extent of like what the gameplay is, is building the tension for you to go and release it. Would you say inventory management is one of your favorite things about games? No spreadsheets, dude, doing something. Well is my favorite thing in games. I love Mario Maker. I love Super Meat Boy. Those are some of the most gratifying experiences I can get from a video game is being challenged, rising to that challenge, and just fucking owning it. Like the high of defeating a boss that took many tries and wasn't bullshit, like in Hollow Knight, or a level with Super Meat Boy, or in Mario Maker. Like that's that's pure cum moments <laughs> for me, you know? That gets me gumming. Gumming. But I do like the the sort of boring uh, satisfaction of managing inventory, managing uh, getting the numbers balanced and making sure everything rises at the same time. Like that's really nice. Like balancing a party composition is really satisfying. No, it's not my favorite thing. It's just a really satisfying thing. When I interview for jobs or I'm talking to a new client and it comes up like, what do you, you know, what do you love about video editing or why do you do this or yada, yada, yada. And the answer I always give is, I love to make things make sense. And video editing is both this nebulous thing. You're taking all this crap and you're trying to make it make sense, but in a meticulous, organized, refined manner. And so it's sort of best of these both worlds as someone who is both a little ADD, but needs to have things proper and also sort of artsy fartsy and like, don't tell me exactly how to do it, but tell me where I need to go kind of thing. And so in games, I'm very meticulous about how I manage that inventory and how I keep the back end, you know, in, in, whether it's Skyrim and I'm making sure all my items have a place organized in the different chests in the home that I spent too much money on. Or if it's Pokemon, just making sure it's like I have no items that are useless. I'm not using yada yada, just keeping things. But I don't like actually doing the organization. I don't like having to do that. It's just something that has to be done in order for me to enjoy the game. And so in games, I have too much of an emphasis on managing those systems and the inventory and the items and all these things and it becomes spreadsheet the game. I don't like that. I need just enough, just enough to feel like what the time I'm spending in there is meaningful, but I have to do it or else I can't play. 
And so it's it's honestly kind of a bad spot to be. It's kind of a curse, to be honest with you. Yeah, and this this game does not have... It's not extensive in its inventory management. It is purely, pretty much, just the inventory on the whole of your ship. And as you progress through the game, your ship gets bigger. So you can dedicate more of your space to carrying the fish that you're catching. So it kind of alleviates itself. There's a there's a there's a growing obviously need for money as the game continues, but your income is also growing as the game continues. So it stays a pace pretty well. I would say that the pacing of the game and uh its tensioning of the inventory management is well done. Bren played this game. I know he liked this game. Bren plays all the games though. Pretty breezy. I I would I would say that EJ you would find joy in this game. Yeah, it's hard to know what I'll be into based on what my friends are playing. Just because you or Brendan play a game doesn't necessarily mean like, like oh, maybe I should check it out. Then. Brendan plays all the games, and you and I have very, not opposing tastes, but very little overlap on that Venn diagram. I always joke that it's just two circles next to each other <laughs> when it comes to our taste. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this is, it's it's a very, I'm thinking back on this game and like how well it reviewed. It reviewed pretty stinking well. Uh, I don't know if I really align with like the level of hype that people may or may not have had for this game but i understand it being an easy recommendation like it seems very inoffensive to most people it's only an 82 on open critic which is a good game that's well above the average score of like games that get reviews which even then is a self-selecting process based on quality better than grand blue fantasy relink what can i say yeah i mean action rpg Chris's goatee. <laughs> um, but Dredge, I would say, yeah, I don't know if I like recommend it, but it, cause I don't know what makes you want to recommend a game to someone, EJ. Is it because you think that they'll like it? Is it because of an overwhelming joy that you had with it? that you want to share with others that it's generally, like, it's like a mix of both though. Like you're not going to be recommending. I play Warzone because you know that I probably wouldn't get the same sort of sick pleasure that you do. Right. So it, it's a balance. So I didn't have like an overwhelmingly like mind-blowing experience. I would say I had a positive experience. Like this was a good game. I do not feel like I wasted my time. It was really nice, but I don't know if it's like rising to the occasion for me to say, dude, you have to play this game. Like it's not like that. But if you were interested, you're like, man, I'm thinking of like playing something that's kind of breezy, kind of nice, just sort of head empty, but like engaging, like it's a good story. It's just like a good game then I would say play Dredge. Like, it's a good game. This is where I differ from the two of you. I It's hard for me to just casually play a game for leisure uh, the way I, I could just, like, read a few pages in a book or throw on an episode of a show that I don't, like, really care about, and we'll see where it goes. Uh, and I can just kind of tune out or I can just kind of vibe and, like, not think about it. Games are so engaging for me that it, the energy I expend... It's like I, I almost have to be playing a game that I'm head over heels in love with, which is difficult because I'm a hard person to please, and I don't even know what makes a game something that I love. I don't, I don't, I don't understand the formula. It's just it's chemistry, baby. You know what I'm saying? It's biology. Yeah, there's a lot of factors, and it's not just like a one to one. Like, oh, I like this thing. <laughs> right. The games I play, I either trudge through them for my friends, or I love them. And there's not a lot of in-between. There's not a game where I'm just like, yeah, I'll just play it and play it for like two hours a night because that's what I do in my leisure time. I'm like, no, I have to love this game because it's costing me so much energy mentally to like sit down and engage with this thing uninterrupted. 
part of that is that just the smartphone's fault? Is it ADD brain? Is that I don't know. I don't know. Well, you're a busy man and built different. Not that busy these days. I have plenty of free time right now. <laughs> like, well, maybe an opportunity. Yeah, look at his Warzone hour account. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. What? I mean, and that's where you're. That's where you're spending that those leisure game hours as you play Warzone. Yeah, that's true. It's not that they're not there. It's just that's the choice that's being made in this moment. But like, generally speaking, though, like you are busy. You do work a, a fair amount, a lot, really. When I'm coming home from rehearsal at the end of the night, I'm not playing a fucking video game. That is, I am tired. I cannot invest the energy to engage in a game. And there were a lot of times in grad school, which, you know, I'm going through the back archive still uh, on my gym days for the earlier episodes that I was in, where I would get even get back from class and just go, I don't have the fucking energy to play a game. And I would watch like four hours of Naruto Shippuden instead because I didn't have to think I could just watch and eat and rest. And so I really get that. I really get that. I wish I could just plop down and, and be like, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to throw an hour or two into this and just have a great time. It's like, I, I need to be really locked in to be enjoying this and to feel like this is a good use of my time. It's kind of similar how Nick, you were like, I would rather be playing a video game than like scrolling. I'm like, scrolling is rest time, baby. I have no problem just sitting there scrolling. I feel the opposite of you. That jab was not like aimed at you. No, I know. I know. Like no, it's no, something no. that I know that you do. Yeah. Because you've you've owned up to it. But it's also <laughs> me, like, there's a lot of times where if there's like a down moment in a game and I'm just like chilling, enjoying the moment. But I'm not like focused in, I'm like distracted, then I'll I'll whip my phone out. I'm like on Discord, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Reddit, whatever. So I, I get that. I get that sort of push and pull between your focus. Uh, but I am very different from both of you in that if I'm sitting in front of a screen, I would rather be doing something than just like watching something. And I'm never too tired to play a video game. Like that seems like asinine to me. Like I, I, would, <laughs> I would play a game that I don't have to be like fully engaged in as far as mentally... <laughs> you know, dictating what I'm doing moment to moment, but like, I'd rather play Tetris than watch the office. You know, like I don't, I don't really care about being entertained by visual medium. We're like, quite happening different. at me. Like I want to, I want to do something. Let me sure. do it. <laughs> sure. I wish I could be more like that because I would be able to get more enjoyment out of the thing that, that I like very much. And yeah, Chris, you're right. Like I do play a lot of multiplayer stuff. That's socializing. That's like almost completely different than playing a, a solo video game. Yeah. But even at night, like I crawl into bed and, you know, I try to go to bed with Sarah just to keep my schedule right. But also just to, you know, it's just like, all right, it's wind down time. Sarah's going to bed. I crawl into bed. I turn on a YouTube video. I boot up Pokemon and I go catch a few. And I'm just like, dude, I am so not engaged with this. I catch three Pokemon. I just put it down. I'm like, I just don't have the energy to, or, or the, the motivation to even engage with this when I could just be laying here in front of a YouTube video. <laughs> so it's just, I wish I could be more like that. Nick, do you find that you're able to be dropped into something breezy, not breezy, whatever, something that doesn't demand like a ton of attention and still kind of like be present in space with people? Cause I can't really. And it doesn't even matter what I'm playing. Even if it's like, maybe Pikmin's a bad example. That's about as breezy as I've gotten recently is like Pikmin two. Or I'm like, I can't even really do anything other than that. Like, I can't give my attention elsewhere. It depends. It For me, it is very much dependent on if I'm having to parse language. I cannot do multiple versions of that at the same time. If I am 
playing a game and there's no text boxes, there's no letters happening at me. I can put on a podcast. I can have a conversation with Lindsay if she's talking to me about something. But as soon as there is conflicting words happening, I cannot, I cannot do that. I have to pause the podcast if stories happening or if cutscenes going on, if it's like a kind of grindy game, but there's occasional cutscenes. Like I'll watch the cutscenes. I'm not usually the type of person to skip cutscenes. I may fast forward depending on how fast the dialogue is happening, but yeah, I just can't do, I can't do talking if talking is happening somewhere else. Like I, I get fucking, I get frustrated if two conversations are happening in the same room. I cannot focus on just one. So I focus on nothing and it just makes me upset. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. Agree. So you can play, you can play Kong Skull Island with the boys, but you couldn't play Final Fantasy seven with the boys. Right. And I couldn't watch Dune with the boys. Like if I'm trying to actually actively participate in a, a media experience, I cannot have side things happening. Nick, you are literally one of two. You are either, completely locked in and telling people to shut the fuck up or you were talking through the entire thing making light of whatever's on the screen there's no in between for you if i can be more entertaining than the movie to me then the movie is not worth my time <laughs> and i will <laughs> yeah. and i will be a very bad person to watch that movie with. yeah i understand that about myself do not talk to me during a feature film i will not see another feature film with you if you are trying to audibly talk to me during the movie that extends to my wife who we had very different ethos about film going. And I was like, Tiff, I'm not talking to you while the movie's going. Like, I'm sorry, I'm not doing it. Especially if it's in a theater. If we're at home, oh, for sure. just I w- fucking pause it. I will ruin the movie going experience for my friends, but I will not mo- ruin it for strangers. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But Tiffany's leaning over and is like, yeah, she won't whisper because she's like, whisper carries further. And I'm like, I don't fucking care. Like, I- also, I don't think that's true. So yeah. stop <laughs> Stop speaking in full voice to me in a fucking movie theater. Don't do it. See, I I can remember. I can actually probably name five instances where Nick told me to shut the fuck up during a movie. I think the last time it happened, we were at the beach watching the Dave Chappelle special, which was not funny. And Nick's like, shut the fuck up. But also, I remember a time where we were seeing The Last Jedi together and it started off. I can't remember what Nick started laughing at, but you started laughing right before the movie started. Like, Full laughing, and then he got all of us laughing, and that just set the tone for the whole movie. And I'm not saying that's why I didn't like The Last Jedi because that movie fucking sucks, but it didn't help that it was just a big joke the entire time to all of us. I, I, I can't remember. It was probably very entertaining when Luke drank the green milk. Like that's probably why I was laughing. The green it's milk funny. Was fine. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's absurd. It's absurd. So if something is absurd, I will laugh. And there's a lot of th- okay. There's like action movies where like a big thing happens and it's just so stupid that I laugh. So I'm a man feelings on the sleeve. If something funny to me happens, I'm going to laugh. Something sad to me happens. I'm, I'm weeping tears out my eye holes. Dude, this reminds me. Tell me if you remember this seventh grade. I think for me, we are at Gresham high school for their, it wasn't like a talent show. It was, I, I can't remember what it was. Was it for Mr. Gresham? Yes. In which Nat yes. was participating? Yes. In? And a, a, a group comes up and, and he says, I'm going to take it old school for you. And they're singing Boys to Men. And our moms start shriek laughing at the idea yeah. that Boys to Men was old school. And we're sitting there appalled as they're on the row in front of us, cackling, cackling during this man's performance over the idea that Boys to Men was old school. And we're like, Shut up, mom! Mom! Like, just appalled by this. Annette Durheim doesn't give a fuck. We are our mothers, okay? I'm here to be entertained. 
And if you're not going to entertain me, I'll entertain me. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I'm amazed. Yeah, I, I'm fairly amazed that at the notion of being able to like take in even visual medium and hold down a conversation at the same time. Like I'll be playing. I don't know. RE4 like I'm playing right now. I'm in like a fairly routine combat encounter with some bugs or whatever. And Tiffany's trying to talk to me and I'm like, you might as well be speaking Portuguese. Like I have no clue what you're saying to me right now. I am <laughs> yeah. too invested in what stroke? I'm doing. Am I having stroke? School ball was doodle. Do I smell smoke right now? Is someone barbecuing? What's happening? I taste copper. <laughs> oh no is that is that something i should start worrying about <laughs> i mean uh, possible symptom of a heart attack one more thing that. for you to have uh health anxiety about a big guy sometimes i'm like why do i have a metallic taste in my mouth and then google tells you all these different things and i just try to ignore it um to finish up my trifecta of games i really love how this worked out because i got this like older rpg kind of more plotting i don't know it's it's a slower kind of gameplay kind of style right and then i went on to dredge which is still pretty slow but a little bit different kind of engagement with the inventory management less about battling a bunch of stuff it's just more smaller it's a different aesthetic a different uh feeling throughout the gameplay and the the vibe and then i move on to tunic which is another wildly different gameplay style this is if you don't know this is basically it's a zelda game but you're playing as a cute fox and the puzzles are more akin to something like Fez or The Witness. And there's more of like a grand macro puzzle happening around this otherwise pretty straightforward Zelda game. Um, and I had a great time. I thought that the world design was very interesting. Uh, the visual language was uh, well put together. The audio design was great. The combat is not my favorite. I thought it was pretty clunky and weirdly difficult and punishing to the point where I was playing on normal, going through whatever, got to the first like major boss and was like, I saw how much health I was doing on my hits. I saw how much health it was doing to me on my hits. And I saw how uh, forgiving the windows were for the dodge roll and for how long it takes to swing a sword. And I said, uh, this is not going to be the game for me unless I turn this difficulty down. So I just turned it down and there's more options beyond just like the, the regular, you know, three point difficulty scale that they've got. Uh, I think they've got like slow down and like more of the accessibility style, uh, difficulty features, but I just turned it down to easy. And even then, like I'm not breezing through this game. I'm still getting plenty of pushback. So it's like, you know, that feels just about right for me. Uh, and beat this game, got the bad ending played more, got the good ending and I finished the game. It's, it is done and dusted tunic would recommend. It is a good one of these Zelda likes. You're going to need a guide. If you want to finish everything, unless you are a sicko who picks up on things a lot better than I do. I mean, I picked up on a lot of things. I got a lot of hidden stuff, but it is not something that you're just going to like kind of stumble into. Like you're going to be having to pay attention a lot and putting a lot of, pieces together mentally and like literally like notebook in hand. This is that kind of game where you're, you're figuring shit out and you feel like you're cracking the code. Literally there is a language that you can translate. Um, I did not go nearly into that, but it's there. If you are feeling like translating a, a language, 
and that will give you a lot of hints as to what you're supposed to be doing for the the true ending quote unquote and yeah really insanely uh deep level of puzzles if you want to engage with those but i found the uh level of hint giving online to be enough to sort of push me in the right direction a lot of times which is nice it's not like one of those things where you say oh you just do this a lot of times people are pretty good and the the guides i found that were like you're gonna want to go here and that's going to give you a lot of clues and then i was like oh i'll just go there and i did get a lot of clues and that helped me sort of push me in the 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 few stumbling places i found myself in this seems like a game that is not for me as someone who does not like deep puzzles (laughs) uh and only difficult combat sometimes so this was an earlier uh title Right? When did this come out? Uh, two years ago. I oh, say. what am it I got thinking? Ported of? to the Switch last year. I want to. I think. What am I thinking of that came out like in like 2018? Like Blossom Tales, maybe. It'll do. I don't know. Now it'll do is one of those. Death Stores, one of those. Uh, Blossom Tales. I had a good time with, but that's more pixel art kind of vibe. Ocean Horn was like the very funny. Like, Ocean Horn. Yes. Legit looks like a bad game <laughs> but it got a sequel and that looks a little bit better that, that, that's sort of the direction i was going it was like eh, ocean horn it was one of those early switch games with like oh it's a zelda light it's cute it's kind of got the no the this vibes. is actually a good game okay okay um people actually really really like this uh, it got a switch port i want to say last year and it runs okay it was not it was not terrible um some of these uh, switch ports can end up like having bad hitching problems or like the the resolution just isn't there but like the art style for this was it lent itself to a lower resolution so i was totally fine with it if you want to play it on switch get that fizzy um but if you play it on another platform you'll have a better time obviously it'll probably run at 60 fps it'll have better lighting it'll have better load times so if you want to play it in a better way you can but if you want to suffer through the switch it's not it's not too bad ps5 ps4 man if it's a multi-plat game, I don't even want to look at it on the Switch unless I can't buy a physical anywhere else. Look at you, Castle Crashers. suffer through the hand cramps and the terrible control. I know. Honestly, I've talked about it, but I, I have been buying PS4 versions of games that have PS5 versions just because I can play them with a DualShock 4. Multiple titles. How fucking insane is it that the DualShock 4, which is essentially the exact same controller as the DualSense, you can't use it on PS5 games just because... Just because they want to sell you a dual sense, those it's motherfuckers. Fucking bullshit! It's bullshit. It makes me mad every day, and every three months I Google PS5 DualShock 4 support and see if anything has changed. But they let you play PS4 games with the dual sense, right? I I bet they do. I bet they do. It's bullshit, Nick. It's dumb, and I hate it. Oh, I'm sorry, man. That sucks. I've had in some of the shooting galleries. Well, the first one mainly, which I felt like was the most difficult for me. My, gripping that thing to try to like white knuckle my way through and just going, this doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel good. Nick, I thought of another, um, you know, you've asked me intermittently over the years, like, Hey, if you want me to keep an eye out for any physical copies of games as you browse resale markets, to so let me know. I still don't own Hyperlight drifter. That is an egregious oversight. Yeah, you ought to. I would really, really like to play it. My main problem that I've had with the physical release of Hyperlight Drifter was that it was one of those where they only made it in like the collector's big box version, which I ended up did get like I did end up getting that, but I wouldn't have wanted that. Like, it's cool that I have the soundtrack in my car and I do keep it in the CD player because what other fucking CD do I have? And also, where else would I listen to one? So like, that's nice, I guess. But 
I also have Spotify and that soundtrack's on Spotify and I can just listen to it there. I don't know. But yes, I believe that's another one that is either I am a bit or fan gamer. They tend to keep their stuff in stock. They don't generally sell out unless those assholes, they sold out of Grim Fandango and I never ended up getting a copy of that. And I should have because no, I love that game. Oh, dude, that's and, sad. Yeah, so yeah. So now you see it on eBay and on Mercari and stuff and it's like $80. And it's like, I don't, I don't want to spend $80 on Grim Fandango. I like that game, but not $80 like it. Yeah. Uh, Hyperlight Drifter, I think is 60 with the big box. It's in a big box. What are you going to save that box? I can't bring myself to throw it away because the value of the ephemera, but like, I don't want the big box. I've, I've got this albatross around my neck now. See, I love, I love having all these big misshapen boxes on the old switch self. It gives, it gives the collection some character instead of just yeah, the no, red it's spines. A, it's a fucking tumor on my shelf. Oh gosh. I, uh, I used to own the PS4 version of Hyperlight Drifter. I bought for like 25 bucks and then I ended up selling it for like a hundred bucks during COVID. Cause I was like, I tried to play this game and it's not for me, but now it's back on the top 100, so I have to fucking buy it again. It's a good game, EJ. I'm sorry it's not for you. I don't think it. I might try it again. I would not rec. I don't think I would recommend Hyperlight Drifter to you, EJ. I don't think you but would. But if you want to suffer through it to be the second person on this podcast to play a game <laughs> that's on the top 100, <laughs> by all means, Chris ought to play it. I think he would like it. I know I'm going to like it. What's the next game that we're all going to be playing at launch, the three of us simultaneously? Paper Mario? Is that the next thing? Uh, maybe. Endless Ocean? Oh my Star God. Wars Battlefront 2 Classic Collection? TBH, that's going to take a while for Limited Run to probably make the phys- physical copy of that, but you'll probably end up downloading it on PS4. You don't think so I'm going to buy it on PC and Switch and PS4 and physical on Switch and physical on PS4? I am buying this game twice because I'm not, I have to get back into the loop. I have to get used to how this game works again before we start getting it online. I need to play as Kit Fisto. I'm hoping that we'll be able to do like PVE lobbies so that we could all jump in and like get reacclimated to this game before we start getting into lobbies with things that will make me frustrated and stop playing immediately. I need to feel like I'm ready to go get into that for at least a couple of days of doing some galactic conquest, doing some campaigns. Um, we're getting ahead of ourselves. EJ, you still just playing Warzone? You got anything else to play? I catch three Pokemon before bed every night. I've been playing Warzone. Uh, been on an absolute burner this week. Pub lobbies. I am a god in those lobbies. Brennan and I are going in and routinely dropping double digits. We're getting win after win after win. And then ranked, still a little slow, but we've been climbing. I just hit 6,000 SR. On the cusp of Diamond 2, I'm like 10 points away. And I'm hoping to hit Crimson by next Saturday. So we'll see how that goes. But we've been grinding. We've been frying. We've been moving different, boys. But that's it. So. I love that for you, EJ. Chris, how far are you in Resident Evil 4? I just finished, I think, chapter 11. Um, Nick, have you played this? I have played bits and pieces of the RE4 on Wii over at a a friend's house. I have not experienced the game by myself. Okay, I won't get too, too specific then. Uh, I am midway through, well, I'm like probably 75 to 85% through the second act, in which is in the castle. I had a rough time acclimating to this game when I started it. My only other Resident Evil game I'd ever played was the remake of two last spring. And these are radically different experiences. Two is a true honest to God survival horror scarcity of resources. You cannot realistically kill the zombies that you encounter. You have to leg shot them and kite them 
or you will run out of ammo and you will die. Uh, four is an action game and it's a game that wants you requires you to kill everything that is in your path while also making it clear that you will be squeezed for resources if you are not good with your gunplay um and getting into the first combat arena where i'm like okay i need to just like either kite these guys or you know they'll approach me i can leg shot them a la resident evil 2 uh, and just getting completely overrun with the very first trash mob of basic bitch villager zombies. I was like, what the fuck is this? And I had a really hard time settling into the, like, the way that this game wanted me to play. However, once I did get used to how it wanted me to play of running around arenas of trying to trigger like melee uh, contextual melee attacks on people by hurting them using my ammo and resources, using my grenades, understanding the ways that certain enemies could be taken out a little bit more easily and trusting that I am going to have resources to craft more ammo. I am going to be able to get more ammo. Holy shit. This game is a blast. This game is so much fucking fun. Um, EJ, you might like this game. You should play. Yeah. And I say that to you because resident evil four is genuinely terrifying. Oh, sorry. No, stop. Resident Evil 2 is genuinely terrifying. Resident Evil 4 is stressful. That is a very, very different experience. Nothing in this game has genuinely scared or startled me. And I did not suddenly become immune to the things that Resident Evil 2 did to me. If I went back and replayed that game, I would be making some strange body bellow sounds all over again, I am sure. Um, but this game... Not that, not really that scary, just stressful and kind of weird. Well, that's Last of Us as well. Not, not a lot of scary moments, but stressful and in that suspense, that's what makes it terrifying. Yes, You don't exactly. know what's around the corner. Exactly. Last of Us also is like, this, the everything about that is like kind of sad and fucked up. Whereas Resident Evil is like kind of kooky and like weird. Oh. Yeah. So I think that that adds a lot to it. Like little camp. Leon as a character. Camp, is yes. Oh my God. Total camp. camp. It's over the top. It's an action movie from the nineties set to like a, a body horror kind of backdrop. Yes. Leon, the ultimate fucking quipster cut from the same fucking cloth as Dale Cooper from Twin Peaks. This like eternal boy scout peppy quipping in moments that absolutely Where'd everyone go bingo <laughs> yeah that, and then we're like title card i'm like oh man i'm gonna like this game he's some of his fucking one-liners like all oh, encountering the um like basically just suits of armor with tentacle monsters in them uh and clearing the first room where those are all like breaking off and getting out you know nighty night nights <laughs> like i am in love with you <laughs> i am literally in love with you and it never stops it's just constant and it's amazing yeah this game is a fucking riot i love it uh the shooting gallery challenges are challenging and interesting i feel like achieving s rank is totally achievable without getting too sweaty about it and then you can even go further than that with like hitting all of the skull targets uh, and trying to get like more hitting like every single one of the bonus round targets. If you get into the bonus round, um, they are fun and cool and gives you a good way to try out some of the different like guns that you're going to get. And the briefcase is a fucking revelation. It is so satisfying getting your briefcase organization 
absolutely locked in and dialed and everything having a place. And oh my God, I don't typically like organizing things in games like you, AJ. I'm like, give me an auto sort and then let me throw away everything I don't need. I love the Tetris of the briefcase in Resident Evil 4. I love the fact that my combat knife is repairable so that when I'm parrying attacks at the last second, if somebody gets too close to me or going for a contextual kill, if I've knocked somebody on the ground, I know that even if that deteriorates, I'm going to be able to fix it. I'll have the money for it. I love the fact that I can increase my maximum health with yellow herbs. I love the fact that I've got companions for a lot of the game. Uh, like, Ashley becomes like surprisingly quippy and interesting as you spend more time with her. Luis is a fucking, I love the Luis Leon dynamic. Um, this game is just great. <laughs> it's just so good. It does so many things so well. And the amount of guns that you can get, uh, like Nate and I were talking about this game. Like, Oh, I'm like, Oh, I really like the Punisher. Like I love the fact that I've got my laser sight and it can penetrate. So if I want to hit multiple people and, uh, Nick's like, uh, you're Nick. Nate is like, oh, I really like starting pistol because for me, that's just like knee shots only and I'm not really looking for the penetration. And then Nick's like, is this what like 2A guys like, is this their life? Like, this is what this is for them. It's like talking about guns, except they're real guns instead of fake guns. But that's like the degree to which it's fun to talk about this stuff because it's not a linear progression where you could just keep getting the next gun and it will be better there will be at least one drawback to whatever that next gun is. Like when I switched from the riot gun to the striker, the third shotgun, I don't remember what it's called. Uh, it can have up to like 24 shells in its drum, which is so stupidly broken, but it is a very close range weapon in a way that the riot gun has a bigger spread. So it's like, do you want crowd control from a safe distance or do you want to be right up in there with your DPS weapon, blasting people's chests open? God, I'm having a great time. I've been itching to binge this game since I found the loop after my like second or third day. And I've had to edge myself because I've been in rehearsal and tech for this fucking play. But I've been living for like four to six. I get home, shower, eat something. No work is conducted from four to six. Like that's my time to get like, even if it's just 30 minutes, like I got home from a recruiting event this morning on campus. We were having our scholarship auditions for our incoming first years. And I was like, okay, it's like 125. I can play 30 minutes of Resident Evil 4. And there was no question in my mind that that was going to be the right choice. And so that is exactly what I did. I sat down and picked up the controller 35 minutes went, I cannot wait until I can play another 30 minutes or another hour or another two hours. I don't know. This game. I fucking, miss that feeling, dude. This game fucking rocks. <laughs> Man, I, I remember those days waking up early before school to play for 45 minutes. You know, think about it all day, get home from school, play it. I remember when I bought my Xbox 360 when I was I was like 18. I, I bought a 360 on a Lark with Star Wars, Lego Star Wars Complete Saga. And I would go to work and I would just think about getting home to play fucking Lego Star Wars. The entire shift, bro. Like, I just want to get home and fucking, <laughs> you know, I, I miss that feeling. I don't have that feeling often anymore where I just can't wait to the next time I can sit down with it, you know? I will, when I beat this, I'm not platting this because 
I just I don't want to play many this. playthroughs or too many playthroughs. Yeah, I don't want to play the game more than once. A lot of the things are contingent on. It seems um, like I mean the original RE4. I'm sure they did similar with this one, but I remember the original RE4 being very well known for its. Oh, after you beat it, then you could do some really fun playthroughs, like starting with a rocket launcher, that kind of shit. Like people love that kind of stuff. That that extreme power surge from the from the get. Yeah, professional mode. Nate's been kind of cursorily trying to get me to think about it. Although this is going to take me right up to Final Fantasy, which is what I hoped. But yeah, getting to start with guns for sure would be a big draw. I missed a couple of missable treasures because I did not know that they would be missable. Uh, and I'm kind of like, eh, I wasn't going to get the platinum trophy anyway. Yeah, it's fine. I don't really need to do that. So EJ, when I finish this game, I will send you my copy on PS5 and I would love for you to try this game. I would try it for you. I would try it. I always try the games that you want ask me to try. Both of you. I feel like there's an implied, I wish you would do that, but don't read too much. He's looking it. at me in, in Spider-Man. He's looking at you in a lot of games. Uh, Legendary Super Warriors, Spider-Man. Uh. It's it, This is more about me wanting to find the game that I love. Nick, you talked about earlier, like, what goes into a game recommendation? Is it because this is what I think you would like? Or is this because I love something so much that I want you to love it? That's me with record. I, I, I love something. I want to share that. I want someone else to feel... Maybe not the same, but I just want them to understand why I love it so much, and I would love if they loved it. I have never recommended anything to Nick that he has also loved, like pretty much unilaterally. Usually, the opposite. <laughs> I just there might want- be a band. There might be like you. You probably introduced Born of Osiris to me. If I think back on it. Oh God, they were talking fucking sixteen, seventeen years ago. Sure. Jesus Christ, man. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> New seltzer inbound. <laughs> what, what was the what was the last game I recommended to you that you loved? I didn't recommend Risk of Rain to you. I missed on that one. Did you not recommend that to me? I know we've talked about this. Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I have to go through. What have you recommended to me? It cuts both ways. You're hard to recommend to because you don't like many things. <laughs> yes, that is true. I like a lot of things, just not the things you like usually. The breadth and depth of your interests is staggering. Yet when I recommend something, I almost feel like I should take it personally. It's just like an ongoing bit for you to be like, yeah, yeah, totally hated this game. Fucking A, man. (laughs) I wouldn't say that I hated Legendary Super Warriors. I just couldn't get into it. Uh, You weren't wearing the right hat. You were in a room full of... I was in a room full of Skull Island, and I was deep into Pokemon Trading Card Game 2. A great game. We can both agree on that. Great game. Great game. All right. Do you want to talk about at least one thing from the partner direct? Is that you want to chat about that and how Microsoft fans were molding? Hell yeah. Let's do it. We got a few minutes left. Yeah, we got, I didn't know you could go. I thought you had people over at three, so I thought we'd have to wrap up sooner, but I already showered. What, what, what do I have to do? I've got Nat and Steph coming over. They're family. They're family. I don't have to turn <laughs> on for them. Yeah, it's true. I can just scroll on my phone in peace next to them. <laughs> partner direct. Like I said, direct to DVD this time. Home release. We did not get a stream. There was no fanfare. Interesting things. We talked about Battlefront already, but Chris, you sent me a voice memo because you you texted me in the morning. Uh, Can I insert the voice memo into this episode? Yeah, I wish you would. Oh, man. I'm still in shock. Battlefront. 
with new online servers. Dude, we're going in. We're picking classes. We're going to specialize. Man, we're going to have the whole fucking squad. We're going to have the whole fucking squad. We're going to be yelling at each other on Discord. Baby, yes, we are here. You're going to finally get me to an online game. Oh, my God. Oh, man. Oh, I can't fucking wait. I can't fucking wait. This is going to be a fucking staple of vacation weekends for us in the future. Holy shit. Also, do you see the price? $35.01 so that they could get 501st into the price tag. That's so based. That's so dope. It's so stupid and dope. I love it. Oh my God. Only boner, probably not gonna be physical. Uh, I'm probably gonna have to buy this twice because you know I'm buying day one. I'm not waiting for this. Uh, I'm downloading that digital unless I hear about like a day one fizzy and then I will I will buy it again. Uh, I will buy it again later to have it on my shelf. I will give them double money for bringing back something that, that's, that is this beloved for me. Now we just gotta wait a few more days and maybe we'll be talking about Let's Go too. Because you text me in the morning, because I didn't wake up early to watch this for obvious reasons, and I was like, oh, cool, Star Wars Battlefront, and I watched the trailer, and I was like, oh, cool, new content. Star Wars Battlefront 2 was on my top 10 games of all time at last appraisal, eight years ago or whatever, so I was like, cool, that's cool, but I, I didn't feel any certain kind of way about it, and then you sent me this voice memo, and you got me hyped up, and I, I, I was like, oh, shit, man, so we started talking about it and throwing memes around. The Separatists have taken a command post. Just classic. This game's going to be awesome. I don't know. I wish I could play it, this version of it, before the top 10 episode, which is coming in the next few weeks, because I'd like to know if it still resides there. But I fucking love Battlefront 2, man. I fucking love it. Don't you have a copy of it on PS2? Of course I do, but just, I want to play the just new play version. That then. No. I want to play with my friends. Yeah. On your CRT. On new uh, 64 player online multiplayer. I I love this game. I don't play anything online and I will play this game online with EJ. I'm trying to get Josh and Joey in to play this game online. I'm trying to get you to play this game online, Nick. I don't know what your relationship with Battlefront is. I'm trying to get Brandon. Put it over EJ's. I'm trying to get Brandon. <laughs> I'm trying to get everybody. I want a Full fucking squad. Yeah. I want to be out up. there. A rogue squadron. Yeah. Let's go. It's going to be awesome. I'll buy it five times. I don't care. I'm going to do it. I just want a Battlefront 3. I want a proper Battlefront 3. Please, God, take it from EA. Take it from DICE. Now that it's, Star Wars has changed hands, maybe we can get a Battlefront 3 that's worth playing. It sucks that it's a spider because they've been pretty shitty, to be honest, and made some pretty bad ports and made some promises to consumers that they were not able Kotor to... KOTOR 2. KOTOR 2 and the oh. cut content. It sucks that it's Aspire, but you know what? It is what it is. What we're going to have. I'm sure the online will work better than Helldivers 2. That might not be saying much, right? Will it be better than Splatoon 3? The third iteration of a game with completely broken online. Splatoon. Nick, give us, give us, give us a, a quick hit from the Nintendo Direct. What stood out to you, whether positive or negative? Was there anything here for you? It was all like I don't know. I I look at this direct. I don't really see any games on here that are like the fuck are they talking about this for? Everything had like a place, you know. Maybe the the worst offender as far as like that's probably going to be pretty bad. Like is probably the Demon Slayer party game like that's going to be a bad game right but everything else is like perfectly cromulent indie games or series that haven't been really on switch before and are coming back you know doing a remake of monster hunter stories i'm excited for that i would like to play that game that's not a 3ds 
World of Goo 2 looks like a fun physics game. We've already known about it, but it got a release date. There's a new Super Monkey Ball. I love Monkey Ball, and oh! it doesn't look like it has jumps. It has like a boost sort of thing, and it seems really cool. It's got like a Fall Guys multiplayer mode, which makes total sense for the ridiculousness that is Monkey Ball. Like it, the party games in those games are as important as like the campaign, quote unquote. It's like an arcade style game. So what kind of campaign do you have? You just have like 80 levels or whatever it is. So yeah, there's a lot of games in here that I'm excited for. Like I want to play the new Ender Lilies sequel. Like I'm excited for that. Another Crab's Treasure seems like a fun action sort of uh, indie version of instead of a dark and dire Souls game, it is a quirky, cute, you're a crab and the different shells give you different powers. Like that seems really engaging and interesting. Uh, Unicorn Overlord got a demo. We got a few demos that I downloaded. I'm going to be trying out, especially now since I've defeated my trio of games. I'm going to be chopping into some demos, palette cleanser before going to the next big thing. So yeah, there was a lot in here that I'm not like excited about, but I am enjoying. 2024 is not a barren year for the Switch, despite there not being new hardware. We're just getting ports and remasters and other good games, and I'm fine with that too. There's a lot of stuff that might be good. It looks like a lot of cromulent range fantasy critic scores for the games that are eligible in the league and a lot of stuff that is not going to be good at all like fantasy life and endless ocean which those games have never been good no um another crab's treasure looks fucking wretched that oh no 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 no. okay hang on hang on you lost me there that game looks charming as shit it looks like a ps2 era spongebob fucking ripoff 85 confirmed it's gonna be bad on it now (laughs) it's gonna be bad a ranger looked cool ps2 game Mobile crap. Yeah, that Mobile did not crap. look good to me at all. Let's, let's. I'll tell you the thing that excited me, and it's not really like Penny's well, big breakaway shadow drop to a wet fart. Does that have a, a open critic score yet? Uh, I don't think it has a page yet. It's not linked yet. No, but it's it's Still. gonna be sounds. So besides Battlefront, Battlefront obviously incredibly hype. Evergrader got a date for you, Chris. Yeah, well, yeah, I was gonna say it's like we got a ton of stuff pertinent to league. Like Pepper Grinder got a date. Uh, we had World of Goo get a date. Penny Shadow dropped. Um, oh, there was one more. I'm scrolling back through. I'm scrolling back through the Discord. Nope, I think that was just it. And then the Unicorn Overlord demo. What's the other demo that dropped? I knew there were two that I wanted to do, but I can't remember the second one. I can't remember either. I'd have to take my Switch off the dock to go look at it. But I downloaded two Pocket Card Jockey I thought was going to get a demo, but I think it just has. Oh, Pepper Grinder. I think it just released that day. Pepper Grinder, Grinder got a demo. demo. Okay, yeah, I need to down- I need to download that. I'll play that. Uh, I'm I'm really intrigued by Pepper Grinder. I like those levels in Ori. I thought that was very interesting, and it's basically a game that's that tunneling mechanic. So talk about doing something up, well, and if they do it well, and it looks like they're going to do, do well. it well, then Pepper could hit. I mean, like hit hit. For me, there's two things that really stood out outside of Star Wars. The first one being a negative thing. South Park Snow Day looks awful. Weird. Oh yeah, <laughs> I am. I am really bummed Sorry, out bud. that instead of a South Park, uh, a third RPG in that series, that we are getting this. That fucking sucks. Um, especially because as we THQ, we have talked about so often on this podcast. I adore both the South Park games. I think there is nothing out there like those games, and they should keep making them. There's no reason not to. South Park is still relevant and quality and they could just keep making six south park rpgs it looks like a bad Fortnite, is what it looks like with like i don't want to be cartman paragliding around in a snowball shooter like that sounds like the exact opposite of a good time 
Oh God! It look. I'm watching the trailer again right now. It looks fucking terrible. What's your other takeaway, EJ? Besides, besides that, <laughs> Xbox games coming to Nintendo and PlayStation. Let's go! It's awesome. More it's great. It. Had it in the past. Cuphead, Ori, Minecraft. I mean, why not? The, and those were games that Xbox originally paid for exclu- exclusivity, right? These are games that were developed intentionally for Xbox platform now going multi-plat, right? Not a game that existed that they were like, hey, we want this We need because we need exclusives. Here's some money. Out of all of these, I feel like they're all probably in development before they were purchased by Microsoft. Because what, like the four that we're talking about are Grounded, Pentiment, both from Obsidian, and then Hi-Fi Rush from Tango Gameworks, which is under Bethesda, and then sea of, sea of Thieves, which is Rare, which they've had for a long time. So Rare, that one has been in development. and But it's a service game, so service games kind of have a different sort of uh calculus when it comes to what makes them valuable versus money valuable you know like what's valuable for the ip and the brand versus what's valuable what's putting money in the pockets i want to say i hope that these sell well so that microsoft keeps bringing games to other platforms on one hand xbox has not made good games in a decade on the other hand they now own some of the largest franchises on the face of the planet so we want them to bring the new games to platforms we like and play i just today i said this before the podcast i unhooked my xbox uh series x i got the box out of the closet i am selling it along with all my xbox one games it's gone it's going i don't want to support xbox as a a hardware developer anymore i do not want to support them as a company that wants to go away from physical media so the hope that they bring the few good games they have to playstation to nintendo and that there's hope for those to continue on in a physical capacity through limited companies or just Nintendo not moving away from that space and they confront the cost of that and it could just work for everybody. I'm here for that. Not to mention you have a very capable personal computer running Windows. Right. So I don't think there are any console exclusive games anymore from Xbox. I think they are all on PC as well. So you're missing backwards compatibility and that's basically it. And and some of the backwards compatibility is nice because you actually get an enhanced version of the game. Like I played Kotor on the ser- on the uh, was it the series at the time or was it the Xbox One still? I can't remember, but I played Kotor on it and it ran well and it was awesome to have proper controller support. Couldn't have done that otherwise. But I'm like, do those small use cases matter? I'm just gonna go buy the slim, the third gen 360 for all my 360 games if I ever feel like going back to those and just keep that in the closet. And I'm gonna move away from Xbox. I was day one PS5, day one Series X. I was here for the you know it was COVID. You know, I was head first into this, uh, into this world again. And early on, I played the Xbox more than I played the PlayStation, just because a the PlayStation controller sucks, and b I I did the deal with with the Series X, where like you basically got a fat discount on uh, a two years of Game Pass. And so early on, I used it more just to like play whatever crap was on Game Pass, just because it was there, and discovered a few titles like uh, Nobody Saves the World, yada yada. But it hasn't been touched since, what was I playing? I played Starfield on it for like two days. Uh, and then before that, the last time I played it was like I tried playing Skyrim Christmas 2022. Otherwise, it was a set there. And we joked the other day when they talked about like, like they laid off all these people in this division and, and it looks like they're moving away from physical media. I was like, I'm fucking done with this, these guys. I'm done. And the, the announcement that these games are coming to other platforms kind of changed that a little bit because... It gives us hope, again, that these will still come to us physically, at least for the next few years. Um, 
and I will pay money for Sea of Thieves on PlayStation in a way that I did not pay money for it on PC or Xbox. Uh, so, yeah, that's cool. Good for them for wising, wisening up and realizing that, like, hey, trying to do the Sony or Nintendo thing isn't working for us. We've long since postulated that, you know, Xbox Game Pass will be on the next Nintendo console or PlayStation before you know it. And that's, we're probably two years away from that happening at this point. Well, the people against that are not Xbox, it's Sony and Nintendo. So I don't know if that's like a, a foregone conclusion. But if they're out of the hardware space, like, what, what's the threat to them? Well, not yet. In two, three years, they're not going to be out of the hardware space in two, three years. They, it would take like 10 years for them to get bled out of that and go full, like legit third party. You think they're going to go like full Steam Deck now instead of trying to do proper Oh, they'll consoles? have a whole hardware slate. They'll keep supporting that until it's literally not making any money. Oh, boy. Microsoft can bear that burden. And if they see that gaming, the sector is as profitable as it is, like, yeah, they're going to keep they're going to keep making boxes. They can handle that way better than Sega ever could. Sega got bled out because that was their one business. Yeah. Microsoft has like been desperate to have hardware. They still make Surface tablets. Like they still will stick into a market just to just to be there. Just just in case. Like it's not worth it's the downside is not enough for them to to flee. Right? So they're not going to. They're not going to cede that ground willingly. It's a good point. And I think also that you know, there's a lot of scuttle about what maybe coming in this announcement in the winter that they sort of slid into that podcast that, yeah, we got hardware news coming in the uh, holiday season, 2024, and then just immediately moved on from it. And like, that's a big piece of information. Uh, It'll be a handheld EJ, for sure. Well, I was going to say, EJ, I'm with you in, I mean, I, I, I'd been kicking the tires on. Maybe I get a series S to be a game pass machine. I could try Starfield put it in like performance mode. God help me. I hope they would have it for <laughs> that game because otherwise it's not going to run great on the on the CES, on the Series S. All the console versions are performance mode, Chris, unfortunately. <laughs> well, yeah, there you go. And so I've been still sort of kicking the tires on that basically all the time. Now I'm like, now I'm hard out. I'm hard out uh, on them. And yet, and yet, if they do in fact roll out a Game Pass handheld, basically, Man, I'm probably going to fucking buy that thing because that's the one thing they really have going for them is try a bunch of shit and see if you like it and get our games day and date available to stream. And then if for something like a Starfield, you know, if this if we'd have bought that day one to try it out in a world where there is not Game Pass. And you play that for two days and you're like, this is a terrible outing from Bethesda. That is 70 fucking dollars out of your pocket. That it just isn't anymore. Like you, God help the people who bought Redfall because they wanted to believe that Arcane or whoever was going to produce a good game. And they're like, they didn't have to eat that cost because of Game Pass. So a Game Pass handheld, I will swallow my principles and I will, I will probably buy that machine. Now, exclusives. I will buy any game they bring to the Switch if it means I can get Morrowind and Oblivion onto the Nintendo Switch now that they own Bethesda and back catalog ports, like supporting the the purchasing of new games on other platforms also increases the odds of, of ports. And I, I do want to play old games and I don't necessarily want to play them on my PC all the time. Right. So yeah, stuff like that is, yeah, I would love that. The steam deck is a very good piece of hardware. And we talked about seven years ago, 
when Nintendo made the Switch, how this could revolutionize the industry. And it took six years before anyone tried their hand at it. And the fact that it was Valve and the fact that it's been successful and is competent, beyond competent, the Steam Deck is awesome for what it is and what it does. The fact that we're just now getting to a point where companies are going to consider doing the Switch thing as well they should. Like, I need a proper, a proper Sony handheld. Please, they've never done a proper handheld, and it's always been limited. Just follow the Switch's blueprint. Please. Please. I wonder if Microsoft would do that. I think it's that would be a good thing. It would be a good thing. Yeah. I, w- I would hope that they would do at least a version of it that is a bigger, better Steam Deck, you know, like more powerful, more, more capable. More refined. Still more refined. Yeah. But has the Windows... Uh, store and like the Xbox games compatible. Like I, I want everything that you could play it on a Series S handheld. But it would also be really cool if it like ran a version of Windows that you could put Steam on and play like Steam games. That would be that would be sick. That would be a huge plus like bonus that you can't do on like competitor consoles or or whatnot. So that would be great. EJ, I know we have to wrap up here, but I do want to say if you're really serious about telling Microsoft I'm not about this life anymore. You wouldn't resell your Series X. You would take it in the backyard and fucking office space it on your Twitter page. <laughs> double dog dare you. I double dog I don't dog think anyone at Microsoft kneeled during a national anthem, so I don't think EJ has the the real need to go set it on fire or something in the backyard. <laughs> okay, that's a funny joke, but it also implies that I cared when other people kneeled during the anthem, and that is not the case. So don't be don't be making kneeled those parallels. A, a Sony state of players. <laughs> yeah. No. Um no, that's $400 I'm going to make off of that fucking thing that I want in my pocket so I can buy more things that I actually will use. Uh so no, I will not be lighting it on fire. Uh, it'd be a baseball good bit, bat, baseball bat, smash it to pieces. Smash the shit out of it. Make like a paper mache Xbox. This is a joke. <laughs> Xbox pinata, dude. Viva pinata. Viva pinata. Oh man. All right. Find us on the internet. Solo.to slash console. Join the fucking discord. If you're listening to this and you're not in the fucking discord, join the fucking discord. I'm not asking anymore.